Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined as always by the man who has just been posting filth on the Women's Institute website and the Cat Protection League as well. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Well, I um, I know we're talking uh, before we recorded about how I had to go to Saudi for the day on, what day did I go? Wednesday. And... I got on the plane with a clean bill of health. I got off the plane back here with a clean bill of health, but I've got a bit of a fucking cold now. You might be able to hear it in my voice. Uh, um, and I know, I know. I did think that. Yeah. yeah. When we were speaking before recording, I did think you sounded a bit bunged up, but I didn't want to say anything in case it came across as a bit rude. No, no. I mean, I tanned a whiskey, honey, and hot water about. I just finished it just before uh, I I joined you and the when they were um, Zencast here. Um, and I've got a beer now. But I know exactly who the culprit was because I was <laughs> I was sitting next to a guy. Uh, I'm not going to say where he's from because it'll, it'll make me sound like a fucking horrible racist. Um, but I would say the same about anybody. But he was. I always take an aisle seat and he was sitting in the middle. And he was one of these guys who thinks because he's sitting in the middle he can sit with his fucking legs as far apart as he likes and he can have, yeah. he can have an elbow on both armrests, which I don't mind because I think... That the middle seat's obviously the shitey seat, so you should be able to... I, that is the rules. I always give up my left-hand armrest or right-hand armrest for the middle person. But he had his elbows mm-hmm. sort of hanging over. So his elbow was mm-hmm. like in my... was in like sort of my demise of the seat. So basically, he's fucking mm-hmm. touching me. And of course, every fucking two minutes, he's like... <laughs> ah. And I'm just like, you fucking clatty bastard. Um, and we were late taking off as well. So um, I was sitting next to him even longer than uh, than I had to. So I'm sure that he's the culprit. I'm sure I've picked it up off him. But, you know, it's air travel. It's just it's getting into like a fucking test tube of illness, isn't it? When you get up it's in terrible, it. isn't it? It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. So, um, how are I, you? I should say, um, of course, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, I mm. should, of course, say, like, if we do have any new listeners um, to the podcast for this episode, because I might get some new ones because of the subject matter, um, I, I do make a little joke introduction at the start of every episode um greg has not been leaving messages on the women's institute or the cat protection league it's, it's related to what we're going to be talking about later i can say that greg is a dyed in the wool unreconstructed feminist yep. and he also has cats so um yeah. yeah anyway uh yeah i'm fine thank you greg i'm all good i'm all good i'm looking forward to talking about what we're going to be talking about today because yes. um enjoyed it thoroughly but yeah no everything is fine with me can't complain at all very good, very good. Well, since there's not a lot to catch up on, because we recorded, as you mentioned before, a mere five days ago. <laughs> yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah, because you're going away again, so... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're banking this episode like three weeks ahead of release, basically. Why don't we see what's been going on in the news and cue the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation. And here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so what have you seen in Scotland in the last couple of weeks that has caught your eye and you'd like to share with me and our lovely listeners? Well, like for the first sort of couple of years that we did the pod, we used to always seem to come across stories about guys wanking in like their van like their, in the cars <laughs> and stuff and just like guys being like inappropriate either 
knowingly or unknowingly. Um, well, but I don't think we've had one for quite a while until today. So this comes from the the Scottish Sun on uh, the 28th of September, which is yesterday. Um, and it's uh, the headline reads, uh, Kilt in the Act, uh, Pensioner Wore Short, <laughs> short Kilt and No Underwear to Do His Gardening. And stunned neighbours could see everything, and everything is in capital letters, so you know that they mean everything. This is Leslie McKenzie, 73. He was reported to cops by shocked neighbours after a series of incidents at his home in Churnside in the Scottish borders. One of his neighbours told officers that she was shocked at what she saw, while another said that she stopped her children going into the garden when the OAP was outside. Uh, Jedburgh Sheriff Court heard that McKenzie is also banned from a number of establishments in the area because of his (laughs) behaviour. Um, Drew Long uh, prosecuting said it appears people were at the end of their teller with him he added when police spoke to neighbours they said it had been happening on a regular on a semi-regular basis and they believed semi-regular <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's this, the semi part is is unconfirmed on a semi-regular basis and they believed that he was doing this to show off doing this to show off his wrinkly old boss the court heard police had given the retired mill worker advice about his behavior when a complaint was made by a neighbor in may but 10 days later he offended again and another resident reported them. His defence lawyer, Ed Hume, Hume, said his client, who lives with his wife uh, and has failing eyesight, claimed he thought the advice was only in relation to how he conducted himself in public, uh, on buses and in cafes, for example. But he added, he accepts there is a degree of recklessness to his behaviour. Uh, Mackenzie, who appeared in court wearing a kilt, and we can only hope, Uh, underwear, Uh, admitted a charge of public indecency by repeatedly exposing his genitals at his home in Lammerview, Churnside, between May the 4th and June the 1st. He said, uh, Sheriff Kevin McCarran said that Mackenzie had displayed concerning behaviour which persisted over a period of time. the court needs to know a little bit more about Mr. McKenzie before it decides what his punishment is going to be. So, I mean, there is a picture of him outside the court. He is wearing a kilt. He's also wearing sort of like Ivanhoe type kind of buckly shoes as well. He's actually in like his full uh, sort of kilt regalia. You know, he's got the he's got the tweed jacket. He's got the waistcoat. He's got a, what looks like a kind of one of those grabbers. Um, he's wearing a lot of rings and uh, he looks a bit fucking pissed off but um, do you think maybe he's just I don't know, he's just getting old and his judgement has got a bit wobbly or do you think he just really wants to show off his boss? He's 73 and I think he's just a proud Scotsman and a true Scotsman, evidently Mm. he's just He's wearing his kilt and just he's proud to be Scottish. He's just wearing his kilt and it's a short kilt though. They say seventy three. Yes, instantly I've got flashbacks to Shangalang now. (laughs) Tartan miniskirt. Yeah. Oh, Shangalang. I wonder what you're up to nowadays. Um. Yeah. He's just obviously just you know he's wearing his kilt and maybe he's just he's seventy three. He's getting on a bit and I don't think there's any malice in this, but I can imagine if it is a short kilt and he's bending over to tend to his geraniums or something then it's definitely going to be a water boys incident there and i think it's you know i can imagine it's going to be disturbing if you're you're looking out there and see his crinkly bottom all over the place it's it's not you know 
it's not the nicest, but hey, it's his own garden. It's just, you know he can kind of do what he likes in there. But if he is going into pubs and shops and cafes flashing, and buses, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think maybe I can imagine because if it is a short kilt and he is hanging out there, he does need to put the mouse back in the house. Effectively, I mean, it's just uh, when you're wearing a kilt though, it's so easy. I remember our friend, <laughs> um, the guy that used to flash at little John's window. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, whenever he had a kilt on, he would get his boss out and flash. And it was just a, you know, a natural thing. I mean, back in the day, I mean, okay, we can admit now I was the guy at Little John's window. <laughs> um, okay, we, can, we can admit that. I remember going out with our mutual friend and we would wear kilts when we go to see a Scotland game. Mm-hmm. And I'm not condoning this now. We would never get away with it now. It, it was, But it was a different time back then. Mm. I might regret saying this, but it was a different time back then. I'm talking like 1999, 2000. <laughs> and well, we'd go out in our kilts women would come up to us and they would just put their hand under our kilt to see if we were a true Scotsman. Yep. Or they would ask us for a flash, which we would therefore oblige, oblige yeah. and flash them. Until, I think it was me actually came up with the idea of, let's try this out. And the next pub we went into, this woman said to us, give us a flash. And we went, you first. And she lifted up her top and showed us her tits. Ah. And then we flashed her. So then that's what we used after that yeah. as currency. Um, <laughs> currency. Can I say that? As currency. Can I, should I cut that out? Can I say that? It was 24 years ago. I mean, but I'm I, sure well, I'm okay to say that on the, the podcast now. The interesting phrase you used there was as currency. So were you going up to bartender, well, barmaids and getting your balls out for like a pint of Stella? <laughs> Well, I do remember one bartender at the illicit still did um, give me a free beer because she did put her hand up my kilt. Oh, yes. Right, okay. um, if yeah. uh, if it was the bartender that our mutual friend used to go out with, I hope she washed her hands before she put up your kilt. <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, but it was a different time back then, and I'm not using that as a defence or anything. Yeah. But it, but it was. I would never do that nowadays, obviously. Um, but but back in the day, I don't know. Am I? Should I cut that out? Am I okay to say that? <laughs> do you think? It's fine. Or, yeah, I think it's okay. You know, like you never. Yeah. I think what's crucial there is you never offended anybody either accidentally or on purpose back in those days. No, it was all it was all consensual and, and all you know <laughs> yeah. fun and, and a joke and just yeah. Anyway, but this guy, it's not that he is offending people. And if he is offending people and people have told him that he is offending them, then he has to, you know, curtail his exploits yeah. of of this. But it's it's a shame because I, I do genuinely think, not knowing the guy, but it does sound like he's just a proud Scotsman. He's wearing his kilt. He just likes wearing it and just likes the breeze on his butt cheeks when he's gardening. <laughs> and don't we all? Don't we all want that, Greg? We want that just lovely, airy breeze just wafting through our balls as we're... <laughs> Tending, tending to your geraniums. I don't know why I keep coming back to geraniums. It's the only thing I can think of right now. As we're, as we're, yeah, yeah. watering our pansies. That's and, all we uh, want. Pulling your rhubarb. <laughs> 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 I mean, the thing is, I mean, like, I... It's, it's been a while since I've had a reason to get the kilt and that on. I think the last time I wore it was my sister's wedding when I was an usher, and that was about four years ago. But the crucial thing is, like, in Scotland... Um, for people who don't live in Scotland, summer tends to be the optimum time where people get married because the, mm. the rest of the... I mean, the weather can be unpredictable in the summer too, but the chances are you, you're going to get a decent day to get married and you get some nice pictures outside. I I got married in March and it fucking pissed with rain the entire day. So there's I don't have any I don't have any wedding pictures uh, of me and my wife outside uh, the venue. But... Um, 
But I do remember the year that we got married, we, because it was sort of that, we were at that kind of age where a lot of our friends were getting married too. I, th- I think we went to four or five weddings in the summer. And it's great getting the kilt gear on, but it's pretty heavy and it's quite warm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you have to, you know, if, if you're, if you're like leaping around doing like the eight some reel or something like that, um, you know, there's a good chance that your shoelace, that your laces are going to come undone and, you know, famous, yep. famously kilt laces are about 20 metres long. So somebody on the other side of the room could stand on them and send you fucking flying. But you're, you're going to be roasting, right? You're going to be roasting. And you're going to want to go outside to cool down a wee bit. So this fella's out doing the garden on a nice day with his kilt on. They must be fucking baking. It's, you know what I mean? It's not exactly conducive to... Uh, to tend in your garden in the hot weather. I remember I, I wore my kilt to was that a wedding? I think it was a wedding I went to in Dubai. All oh, right, yeah. And it would it would have been like May time, so mm. it's it's not optimum heat, but it's still fucking hot. It's still pretty spicy. Yeah. And we were we'd been outside for a while, and then we went inside. But you know what it's like because you're still sweating. Yeah, and you're kind of cooling down, so your body's sweating a little bit more just to get rid of the excess, mm-hmm. and. I remember standing, speaking to people, and it was a wooden floor. And I looked down at where I was stood, and I had a puddle underneath <laughs> me because there was a drip coming off my balls of sweat. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Really? Yes. Oh, my life. Teddy, Teddy, Teddy. That's how hot I was. Let me explain that one. Yeah, yeah, all you can do is sort of keep moving, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a shark. Exactly. Like a, I, like, I haven't missed myself. Like no. A, yeah, I just kept moving. Just kept moving. Just keep yeah. moving like a yeah. handsome tartan shark. <laughs> just did exactly what Five told me to do. Yeah. No, just keep on moving. Five are played yeah. in Dubai in a few weeks earlier. Hmm. Yeah. There's not only three of them now, though. I don't know, maybe. Well, did one of those guys get their one of those guys get their fingers cut off by a helicopter? Was that one of the five guys? Or was oh no, it was A one. Remember A one? They did take on me. Did a cover a take on me? And I think I, yeah. I remember reading the paper that they were touring and they got out of a helicopter and one of them put his hand up to wave to like fans and the rotors took a couple of these fingers off. Jesus, I didn't hear about that. Fucking hell, shouldn't laugh, bastard. Shouldn't laugh at that because that is literally no the, my worst nightmare getting like sliced up yeah. by a propeller. So I don't, I don't know why I'm laughing, yeah. but um, yeah, no, okay, Pretty let's fun. move on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's uh, that's old uh, gardening uh, commando pensioner. What's um, what's your first story? Uh, my first story is from the Scottish Sun this week, Greg, and I'm about to make you angry. Oh. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. <laughs> A billboard has sparked outrage on social media as it appeared to claim that an iconic Scots comic character was created in London. A snap was shared on X, formerly known as Twitter. You notice that every news article at the moment is saying on X, formerly known as Twitter. It's like, for God's sake. Um, (laughs) Of a UK government poster at a train station, which appears to claim that Dennis the Menace was created in London. The billboard shows the well-loved character perched on the shoulder of an executive from Beano Studios, which is based in London and produces the Dennis and Nasher teleseries. It appears to be part of the Made in the UK, Sold to the World campaign run by the UK government since 2021. However, Dennis was first created in Dundee in 1951 by cartoonist David Law for DC Thompson. The poster reads in bold writing, created in London, unleashed in more than 100 countries. A quote from Beano Studios executive Rob Glenny is also on the board and reads, Dennis and Nasher have been making mischief together since 1951. These days, the CGI animated pranktastic pals are watched by millions of kids and a few grown-ups. 
in more than 100 countries. Find out how exporting could grow your business. After this picture emerged online, a number of Scots have been left furious over this new billboard which has popped up. One person says, Dennis the Menace, created in London. Aye, right you are. <laughs> Another wrote, when did London become a suburb of Dundee? How did I miss that announcement? <laughs> a third commented, there are literally no words. Whilst a fourth said, yes, the TV version which they seem to be touting, was created in London. The animators live next door to me. But yes, I see your point. Uh, uh, a government <laughs> spokesman says the Dennis and Nasher animated series was created in London based on the brilliant Beano cartoon that originated in Dundee. In this way, it is the perfect representation of Made in the UK, sold to the world, which seeks to highlight success stories from across the great union of nations. We work closely with businesses like the Beano to tell their startup story, demonstrating the support the UK government provides to help companies grow and export around the world. Great spin from that. Mm. Uh, government spokesperson there wonderful spin for a fucking cock up I can see the point okay so the the TV show is created in London however they are claiming Dennis the Menace was created effectively in London not Dundee I'm appalled at this Greg absolutely appalled and rightly so Uh, yeah I mean fucking hell like they fucking do this all the time then all the time (laughs) (laughs) do you know we get more downloads in England than we do in Scotland so be careful what you say. <laughs> because there's more people, you know. When when I, when 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 Andy Murray's winning, you know, that's, that, that's what they always say. I mean, I'm only, I'm I'm only joking. Like, honestly, like, in all honesty, yeah. I couldn't give a fuck, right? But it's it's the old joke about Andy Murray. Yeah, when he yeah. wins, he's British. When he loses, he's Scottish. Of course, yeah. and I, I don't know if we, you know, I mean, if, if that's necessarily true. I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes we don't help ourselves in Scotland, you know, because we get a bit sort of indignant about certain things rather than just sort of focusing on what we should be rightly proud of. You know, like what we have called, hmm. you know, like penicillin, <laughs> for example. Be a lot be a lot less people in England without penicillin, right? Um, <laughs> and, you know, the TV and, oh, like whiskey, fucking countless things. And, of course, the Beano and the and the now, the now defunct uh, Dandy, which I still can't quite hmm. believe that... Um, I, I can sort of understand why DC Thompson, I guess they obviously had to choose between um, which one they were going to keep going and which one they were going to stop. So I do sort of, under- I always preferred the Beano to the Dandy when I was growing up, but I did still like the Dandy. But if I only had enough money for one, I would buy the Beano. Um, did you, I mean, I was the same. I, I used to read the Beano every week yeah. and always got the annuals. Yeah, yeah. The Dandy, I would only get the annual from like a book sale or like a charity shop right. or you know what I mean like or it was a, always as a school or book as, sale as or a gift sometimes you know I used to get it for Christmas yeah. most years you know? yeah like I, I didn't read the dandy week to week but I would I would yeah. devour a dandy annual yeah yeah and would you know same as Beezer and, and Topper and stuff mm. I, mean, I would devour those but I never actively would purchase dandy it was always the Beano I mean like I yeah for, for Christmas I mean I'm sure it's the same for you and probably most uh, most boys of our generation but the gifts that you pretty much always knew somebody was going to buy you were the Beano and the dandy annual pretty much right I mean I I I can't think of a Christmas but I didn't, when I didn't get the Beano and the Dandy and like Urwilly or the Bruins, whichever one was yeah, it. Yeah, Urwilly or the Bruins. In yeah. Scotland. Of course, yeah. 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 They, which, whichever one, because I think they used to alternate. They'd be Urwilly one year and the Bruins the next year, yeah. I think. I think they released yes, both. Yes, they did. Um, and and mm. there was always like a, a, you know, when we were young, 
uh, there was always like a, a fucking tsunami of annuals would come out every year yeah. of whatever was popular. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I remember getting, you know, Transformers annual yeah. or Ghostbusters annual. The Knight Rider annual. Um, stuff. <laughs> stuff like it, that. Yeah, yes, yeah. Knight Rider annual, A-Team <laughs> annual. Yeah, yeah, all those things, yeah. you know, and then they just kept pumping them out, the Gladiators annual and stuff and yeah. anything that was popular. In fact, I found a photo. I, I'll have to um, say that. I found a photo recently of me, must be 16 years old, with, and it must have been on Christmas Day, mm. with um, my Spice Girls annual. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Pornography wasn't that easy to get hold of back then, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It definitely wasn't. No. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, they're they're claiming Dennis the Menace. Come on, no, he's he's ours. You know, he's Scottish. You know, like our mutual friend's oldest son. Uh, he is a big fan of the Beano, and I like. I've been when uh, my father passed away last year. Like he had a lot of because uh, my dad always liked the Beano. <laughs> Even as a fucking, even right in his sixties, he, he was he still liked the Beano. I would sometimes get like like a Beano books for Christmas off him, even as a as like thirty plus, you know, forty plus old man. Brilliant. But I gave uh, I gave like all the Beano stuff from my dad's house to our friend's son. And one of the books was quite a, it was like a sort of anniversary book and it was a big fucking heavy hardback book. And uh, obviously our mutual friend is uh, unfortunately separated from his mum and she was taking the both brother on a little holiday and just down south and they were, fly, they were flying and <laughs> insisted on taking this book and his hand luggage to read on the plane. <laughs> it must have been about fucking three kilos. Uh, I mean, it was a, it was like a volume, this uh, Beano book that I'd give him. Um, but when I was back in the summer and I was clearing out my own loft, I had like a ton of uh, Beano and Dandy um, anniversary books that I had either bought myself or been given as gifts over the years that I, I, that I gave out. And it, it, sort of, it, it makes me feel quite good that, you know, because I sort of imagine modern kids not really being very interested in the Beano uh, or the Dandy. So I quite like the fact that likes it and enjoys it you know although but the thing is when you look when you read back like the old dennis the menaces i mean he's a fucking nasty fucking bully <laughs> really by yeah. by modern yeah, he conventions yeah. he's an absolute yeah arsehole <laughs> uh yeah i mean dennis is an absolute arsehole <laughs> yeah. when he yeah absolutely the, the stuff he get he does and yeah. Uh, yeah it's amazing that he got away with it back then so it's like mini the mink but the thing well, is though he, he never got away with it because he's his dad used to beat him when he got caught. Remember, they had that slipper that was made like from yeah. elephant hide that they called the demon whacker. Oh yes, it was called the demon whacker, and like both That's it? his dad yeah. and his granny used to fucking leather him with it if they caught him. <laughs> See, obviously they can't do that now, no. so I wonder. But I guess he doesn't get up to as bad antics as he used to. Yeah, but. They can't punish him in that way, so I wonder what they do. Take away his iPad or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, it doesn't really have the same force as seeing the last panel being Dennis <laughs> bent over his dad's knee with this yeah. demon whacker. Can I wait to come down on his arse cheeks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. God, what did you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've not Different read... times. I've not read Dennis the Menace, obviously, for... Like, I've, I've, I've never read, like, a modern Dennis the Menace story, but, it, like, my local supermarket here in Dubai often has the Beano, so maybe just out out of sort of uh, swally research I might pick one up next time I mean pay like five five quid for a copy of the Beano in Dubai <laughs> <Eat it>. aye 
Um, Ewer Willie, he never really got smacked, did he? His his punishment was always he just was left to go without his mints and tatties. Sometimes, yeah, I think sometimes he did. He was sometimes like that last frame mm. when he would be sitting in his bucket. He would sometimes say, "Oh, I can't sit down, readers, because of my dad's just like oh uh, yeah, tanned my ears." Yeah. <laughs> 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 but there on his dungarees, like rubbing his arse, you know, the last frame. <laughs> Anyway, so that is the story um, about how the UK, well, England, are trying to steal Dennis the Menace. Leave him alone, he is ours. Yes. Anyway, okay, Greg, uh, what else have you seen in the news this week? Well, this leads on. Uh, it's, it's sort of tenuously your uh, story there links on to my next one. So this article is not a news story as such. I guess it's just like a little topical article um, in the Daily Record uh, from a few days ago. So it's 11 things that... Uh, Scots are guaranteed to argue over. Um, oh, are we going to have a fallen out? Is this going to be a short episode? <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, it's, <laughs> so the article reads that like, Scots do love an argument, especially over topics that they can that the outsiders may consider to be strange. The names of different okay. foods, clothes, footwear and what should go on chips are all hot debate topics across the nation and can often spark a rammy among friends. Uh, a brief chat on any of these and many other subjects will quickly prove that there are many hills that Scots are willing to die on. This got us thinking about which questions are likely to get a room full of Scots heated, so we've gathered some of our favourites. So number one, so let me know what let me let me give me like a northeast of Scotland perspective on these. What do you call the first and the last slices on a loaf of bread? A heel. A heel. Yeah, a heel. Yeah. Um. Some people call it the butt. Some people call it the outsider. Like I, when I was growing up, it was the outsiders. You know. Or the, you know. Just if you're having toast, just have the outsiders. What were you know? Ralph Macchio and Rob Lowe <laughs> and Patrick Swayze. <laughs> yeah, or that Stephen King book about the child murderer. Um. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, no, I have heard the heel, um, but in when we when out in in Glasgow, I think we tend to call them like the, the outsiders. Um, okay, okay. Next one is uh, so there's a picture of a square sausage in a roll. The article reads: In Germany, there's a sausage in every corner, while in Scotland, there's a corner on every sausage. Um, and then it says, "Said somebody somewhere once," which I suspect is probably bollocks. Uh, but the arguments around the name of the Scotch favourite got so heated. And it even led to one man starting his own social media campaign, creating a Facebook page called Scotland, where it's slice, not sausage, worn, round or square. It's slice. We're happy for you to call it if you want. No, so and the thing is, I can't really ask you about this one because square sausage isn't quite as prevalent in the northeast of Scotland as it is on the central belt it's specifically no, the west cause coast because it, it's shite and it gives you heartburn <laughs> it gives you heartburn um, it gives me heartburn yeah. yeah I never got heartburn out of link sausage or as I refer to it a sausage <laughs> but <laughs> I mean I always square sausage gives me heartburn I mean I, I don't know why I don't know where the name Lorne comes from like it's sometimes called a lorn Sco- a lorn sausage and which maybe that's the name of the guy that invented it i you know we always called it a square sausage when i was growing up when i was growing up my next door neighbor their eldest son was called lorn <laughs> and i always wondered where that name came from never heard that before yeah, lorn well lorn michaels i suppose yes yeah, yeah. um, the only other lorn i can think of but yeah his name is lorn i always find that strange um yeah what's the question well was, yeah <laughs> It's like, there's no question really for you in that one because uh, because you still like square sausage oh. in Aberdeenshire. Um, I, no, because I'm not a pervert. <laughs> we always called it. Really, we just had a conversation about getting your cock out on the dan- on dance floors just before we started recording. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> right, so the next one then, there's a picture, so number three, there's a picture of a guy who looks like a bit of a young, it looks like a looks like a bit of a young Jimmy Tarbot. Oh no, it's, it's Jockey Wilson. So there's a picture of Jockey Wilson, <laughs> yeah. It's like, it looks familiar. Uh, so there's a picture of Jockey Wilson yeah. with a rolling chips, um, well, what I would call a rolling chips. So it says here, like a favourite treat of many Scots, uh, chippy chips, uh, lovingly squashed between a fresh roll and smothered in salt and vinegar or salt and sauce, what would you call it? What would you call it? Like a, I'd call it a, go on. a chip butty. Chip butty, yeah, popular. Yeah. Uh, we, we, our, our terminology was always a rolling chips. We've had this conversation before, like, do you want a rolling bacon? Do you want yeah. a rolling chips? Do you want a rolling sausage? But when I was back in Glasgow uh, in the summer, like, my cousin and I were out on a Saturday afternoon having a few beers, and uh, before we went for the train, we stopped at the Blue Lagoon Chippy and just off on Queen Street, and I had oh, yeah. a roll with chips and salt and vinegar. It's probably the first time I've had like a roll and chippy chips in donkey's years and it was absolutely brilliant. It just I could have eaten like two could have eaten like two more. It was so nice. Okay, next one then. So do you remember the old um black uh sort uh, sort of shoes you would wear for PE back like in the early eighties or mid eighties? Yeah, mid- plimsolls. Plimsolls, right. So some people call them gutties. Have you heard gutties? Anybody at school call them? I have heard that term, yeah. Yeah. Nobody at my school called them that, but I have heard that term, yeah. We called them uh, sannies, short for sand shoes. Um, but uh, okay, but yeah, plimsolls. I, I mean, I didn't like saying the word sannies when I was a kid. So don't, don't ask me why. I much prefer to call them plimsolls. Um, but yeah, most people did. Most people growing up called them sannies uh, for me. And then we just say, Is that not, sorry, go on. What did they call our What did they call our sandwiches? Uh, pieces. Okay. Yeah. Is that a later question? Uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, number five then would you say that the sun is split in the trees split in the sky or split in the pavement I'd say neither I've never heard that before. you never say that the sun was split in the sky it was such a nice day no 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 well no I would never say that um or the sun split in the trees the sun split in... no never well, never say that let's fuck that one then <laughs> number six. Uh, Have you ever used any of those terms? Have you? Did you use them? Yeah, I would say the sun split in the sky. Mm, no, I don't think so. I mean, I wouldn't use it very often. Um, oh well, it's the, it's, the, it's the sort of thing, sort of thing we say in Scotland because the sun coming out is such a irregular occurrence. Right, number six. Then, so this is the old East Coast West Coast debate: Is it salt and vinegar on your chips or salt and sauce? Salt and vinegar. You don't get salt and sauce in Aberdeen. Definitely not. Right, salt. And, and the only place you get salt and sauce. Is Edinburgh and maybe Fife, yeah, or the Lothians, yeah. But everywhere else in the exactly. every, everywhere else yeah. in the UK is fucking salt and vinegar. Who wants brown sauce yeah. on their chips? Brown sauce is sweet. You don't put sweet sauce on your chips unless the unless you like ketchup. Well, I suppose I don't like ketchup, um, but I don't know. I'm in the minority there. But I would only ever have salt and vinegar on my chips. Well, I really want some chips from the chip, you know. Um, <laughs> right, number seven. What would you call uh, what is usually referred to as a piggyback? A coley bag. A coley bag? That's not on here. Yeah. There's cokey back. Oh. That's one of them. Nope. Cokey bag. There's four. Coley bag. There's a coley bag. There's like 14 different words apparently for this, but I'm not going to click on it. <laughs> um, I'm just going to take the ones that are here. So there's co- there's cokey back and uh, co-carry are, um, are popular in Glasgow. I remember co-carry being quite popular. Apparently in Dundee they say cuddy back um, and people in Fife say Cali code. Never heard that. I before. bet they have fucking salt and sauce in their chips. So well, probably, you know, right? <laughs> they get a Cali code off down to get salt and sauce in their chips. Yeah. 
So the next one then, uh, number eight, uh, your dressing gown. I don't know, do you do you use a dressing gown around the house? Number um, I have one, but I very, very rarely use it. But it's a house coat. House coat? It's yeah. not a dressing gown. What about, well, yeah, it's what, a house coat. What about bathrobe? No, you wouldn't call it that? No. Goonie? <laughs> my mum calls... What, like sloth? <laughs> Chunk? Or sloth? Or my mom, data? My mum calls her pyjamas or goonie. Or her, oh, really? Or a nighty, yeah. Um, what would you call it? Do you have one? What would you call I it? I don't have one, but if I had one, I'd probably call it my house coat. Or my dressing... I might, I might call it my dressing gown, actually. You know, my dressing gown. I think I call it my dressing my, 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 my wife's got one, she calls it her dressing gown, so I'd probably just find myself doing the same. Yeah, no, it's a house coat, I would say. House I would coat. use... I'd always use house coat, yeah. What do you call your slippers? I don't have slippers, but I would call them slippers. You wouldn't call them baffies? No, I'm not a 80-year-old. I'm not Pabrune. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't call my shoes my galoshes, um, so... <laughs> I don't wear. <laughs> no, I don't call them a bar face. If you were to say for number nine, if you were to say, uh, if you were to go and grab, if you if you said to yourself, if you thought I was going to go up and get myself a can of like Coke out of the fridge, and I said to you, "Oh, where are you going?" Would you say I'm going to get a can of what? Would you say a can of Coke? Coke. Would you would just say you wouldn't say I'm going to get a can of juice? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would refer to it as juice, but yeah. I would say, yeah, I wouldn't say soda. Um, yeah. but yeah, I would call it like fizzy juice. Yeah, it's juice. Yeah, it's yeah. juice, right? As I call, yeah. I call all fizzy drinks juice. And when my wife and I got together, it led to some very confusing moments in our relationship because in England, to call that like, they would call it like pop, um, in England or or something like that, pop. I would never call fizzy drinks pop. I would always call them juice. Pop? I, yeah, pop. Do you want know kind of pop? Are they some from fucking 1930s American film or something? <laughs> I don't know. But like, when I lived in England, I remember pop. I remember like my uh, peers referring to carbonated beverages as pop, um, aerated waters. Um, I always, uh, I've always called it juice. Um, although I always referred to Iron Brew as ginger when I was uh, growing up. Okay. Because that's... That's what I was conditioned to refer to it as. Um, and then last one, number ten. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the actual name for this is. I always called it an eerie wig. You know, like the little bugs with a sort of jagged tail, an eerie wig. But apparently, some people call it a forky tail. Yeah, yeah, a forky tail. I would call it. Yeah. yeah so I've always called yep. it an eerie wig. So they did the record of fucked it here because this article is supposed to be eleven things that get Scots arguing, but it's only ten. Um, well, we've argued about the uh, the ten things, so that's going to be the eleventh. Yeah, maybe it's supposed to be. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, good shout. Anyway, that's uh, you know, if you want to write in and uh, let us know what you would refer to any of those things, if if it's interesting enough, then maybe we'll read it out. If it's not, then we probably won't. But do feel free to write in anyway. What's your next story this week? Okay, Greg, my next story is from the Scottish Sun, uh, and it's from this week. In fact, it's from today as we're recording this. And it's uh, the headline is Bite Size. A disgusted fast food customer claims she was forced to throw away her Burger King meal after her food arrived with a huge bite chomped out of it. Joanne McLaughlin, 31, ordered lunch for herself her fiancé and her mum via Just Eat on Thursday, but was horrified when she discovered what the delivery bag contained. The NHS worker says she was ready to tuck in when she noticed a huge chunk was missing from her chicken royale. She immediately complained to the fast food giant, but staff at the Kingsgate Retail Branch Park in East Kilbride denied they had tampered with her meal. Joanne believes the delivery driver was the culprit 
and launched a complaint with Just Eat. Joanne says, My mum brought the bag through after collecting it and I started dishing it out. I gave my mum her meal. I gave my fiancé his meal. And I initially thought they'd forgotten my chips, so I didn't think much of it. But then, when I went to unwrap my chicken royale, there was a bite out of it. I said to my fiancé, Very funny. <laughs> thinking it was a joke. I don't think he believed me until I showed him. I was absolutely horrified. I feel sick thinking about it even now. I phoned the branch afterwards and they said it hadn't happened in the store because they could see my order leaving on camera. The delivery driver had the cheek to turn around and say, enjoy, when he collected the bag. The family's order, totalling 37.44, consisted of a Whopper meal, a bacon double XL meal, a chicken royale meal, and a side of onion rings. Joanne added, Burger King said it should have been double bagged, and I only had one thin paper bag, which they said wasn't right. It wasn't until I looked at the bag that I realised the sticker that sealed the bag had gone. The QR code which gives you a free burger had also been ripped off. (laughs) It's disgusting. Who else is this person doing it to? I've actually deleted Just Eat app off my phone. Never again. A Just Eat spokesperson says, At Just Eat, we want all our customers to have a positive experience when ordering their food online. We're sorry to hear that in this case, this customer's experience fell below the high standards we hope to deliver. We can confirm we have already processed a full refund and have been in touch with the customer. So, this Just Eat driver, I, you know, it's funny, Greg, I was um, I was listening back, I, I never listen back to our old podcast. Once I finished editing, it's dead to me. But... <laughs> For some reason today, I I thought, you know what, I better get a nippy on. I better start doing, putting together the best of the news for January. I know it's for January, but I was like, you know, I'm going to get a head start. So I did, uh, I listened back and I did, it's funny, you did a wanking story earlier because I was listening to the one about the Just Eat driver that was (laughs) caught wanking in the bushes. And now this Just Eat driver has been munching on uh, Joanne's Chicken Royale before Mm. he's delivered it to her. And with our mum and fiancé in the house as well, Greg. If you ever had any food delivered that's had a bite out of it? Or no, uh, no. Because the thing is here, the, the guys that deliver the food here, they're not just sort of casual guys like they are in the UK that are just doing it to earn a bit of extra yeah. money or whatever. They're like employed. Um, and so their right to live in the country depends on um, the fact they've got a job. So generally, no... Right, it's meant to be kind of a, a light-hearted kind of yeah, comedy podcast. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't. I don't mean it. I don't. I don't. I don't mean to dwell on the modern slavery that uh, that exists here in the uh, in the Middle East. But the thing is, though. But in fairness, the the companies, uh, the the vendors, um, usually it's usually very well sort of wrapped and sealed, and the drivers are supposed to open their sort of insulated bags at the door, so then you take your order out. Now, of course, they could have still fucked about with it, but you, you try to think about. It. Um, what I think's happened in this case, because just from the sort of feeling I get from Joanna, is that the fiance for a laugh has indeed taken a bite out of it. She hasn't. She hasn't gone very well. Oh, very funny. She's gone fucking postal, and he's <laughs> and he's had to. Do, <laughs> He's had to say, oh, look, it wasn't me. It wasn't, oh, no, you know what I mean? And then she said, well, it must have been the driver. And it's gone too far for him. Like, b- b- before he knows what's happened, she's on the phone to Burger King at the Kingsgate. She's giving them fucking hell. And he's like, well, I can't I can't like tell her that it was me now because she's just fucking kicked up high dough. She's not going to be my fiancé for much longer <laughs> if uh, she finds out that I, in fact, so now... He's probably sitting there feeling a bit a bit squirmy because she's not only has she been on to 
Burger King and Just Eat, evidently she's also been on the fucking newspapers about it as well. Now, Greg, you're being very quick there to judge Joanne. There's a photo of Joanne, of Joanne in this article, and I can say you've probably hit the nail right on the head there, actually. <laughs> she does look the type that would fly off the fucking handle. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you said that she worked for the NHS, right? So she's probably just finished yeah. a fucking 32 straight-hour shift. She probably gets yeah. She probably gets a fucking piss taken out of her with her wages. So she's probably always ready to pull the trigger <laughs> at any moment. Quite understandably, you know. It doesn't say if her mum and fiancé ate theirs, but that's a, a good point. Let's say the, the situation was you'd ordered this food and it arrived for you, your wife and your, your kids. And you're about to tuck into your meal and like your wife opens her meal and there's a bite out of it. Yeah. Would you eat your food? It's untouched. There's no signs of any tampering. No. Would you eat yours? No. Definitely not. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I, the whole lot would have to go in the bin for yeah. me. I'd be like, nah, I'm not touching that. No fucking way. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know that some people like Burger King. Personally speaking, I would never eat anything from there. Not because I think there's anything wrong. No. I don't think there's anything wrong with the food. It's just, I just don't like it. Um, but it it just reminds me of the of the uh, <laughs> parts and recreation with Ron when he's trying the vegan, when he's offering, the guy's offered him a sample of the vegan bacon and he's taking it and putting it straight in the bin. He's like, thank you, can I have another one? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of what, it's kind of what I would be like if somebody offered me a Whopper, you know. Uh, Burger King, if you'd like to sponsor us, you can get <laughs> touch culturesswally at gmail.com we are available for sponsors just eat as well if you'd like to get in touch culturesswally at gmail.com we have reported about your wanking delivery drivers and about your delivery drivers that eat um their the food of the their well, customers you know, anyway not 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 to get ahead of ourselves uh, on this episode but you know the show that we watched for the podcast today i watched it on the stvi player which meant that i had to put up with the adverts um you know between you mm. and uh, McDonald's. On every single break, McDonald's had three different adverts. They had one for their McDelivery, which is the most annoying advert, you know, fucking really irritating. And then they had another one for their Monopoly. They've got the Monopoly game going on at the minute in, Mono- in McDonald's okay. for the scratch cards. And uh, then they got one where oh, it's fucking, it's so annoying. Or I mean, I, I mean, it's just. <laughs> It's just, and it's not even, I don't know who's fucking, I don't know who McDonald's is signing this shit off, right? But it's like an old, it's like an ancient fucking advert before adverts got more sophisticated in the 1980s. Basically, it's an office. They've had a McDonald's delivered. There's a guy, he's wearing like a sort of like Michael Douglas and Wall Street uh, ensemble with a shirt, braces, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's, and he's like saying all these 80s things like talk to the hand and chillax. And they offer him his, McMuffin and he's like McDonald's talk to the hand and um woman says yes but McDonald's source all their ingredients ethically blah blah blah, blah. the chicken pigs all fucking free range blah, blah, blah. um then you know it's just so fucking and he's like all oh, right I got off the phone uh, I'll, I'll fax you that over are we still on for squash I'm like who the fuck I mean you you're like a marketing guy I mean, was it I mean who the fuck what re- <laughs> they've obviously like I'm, I'm sure McDonald's apply like science to their advertising messages and how they sell them i mean who the what focus groups and kind of customer uh i don't know what would you say sort of customer examination have they done that suggests that that advert is going to do anything other than annoy people the subliminal message i'm getting from that advert and i haven't even seen it but the way you've described it is that these employees hate their boss so much that they're giving him a mcmuffin every morning to clog his arteries in the hope that he has a massive heart attack or a stroke yeah maybe maybe yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, you could be right. Maybe that. Maybe that's exactly what McDonald's was going for. In fact, I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, um, have you seen anything else this week, Greg, that you'd like to share? No, that's a lot. Okay, wonderful. Right, well, before we go on to what we're going to be talking about today, let's have a little word from our sponsors. And our sponsor on this episode is Doric Skateboards. Doric Skateboards is a skateboard brand created by Gary Kemp, whose main focus is to explore the people and culture of Aberdeen and the northeast of Scotland, and to create designs that reflect that area. Doric Skateboards screen print their own decks in their studio by Gary's fair hand, and they've produced some amazing designs over the years, including an Annie Lennox-inspired board, a Robert the Bruce deck, and a Plenty of Pop deck inspired by the old Bonacord trucks that used to drive around Aberdeen delivering fizzy drinks. Dorrit Skateboards also replicate these amazing designs onto their clothing on 100% organic cotton tees, hoodies and sweatshirts and you can fill your boots on stickers pin badges beanies caps and a whole lot more gary regularly collaborates with local artists to ensure he brings the latest designs to the market but always with a doric twist including their amazing new northfield tower design check out doric skateboards for yourself on doricskateboards.com and follow them on instagram at Doric Skateboards to see the amazing designs that they have on offer. And we are delighted to be able to offer you 15% off as listeners to this podcast. All you need to do is head to DoricSkateboards.com, have a look at the amazing decks, stickers, badges, hoodies, tees and hats, everything they have on offer, and enter the promo code SWALLY. That's S-W-A-L-L-Y, all in block capitals. Same with the name of this podcast to get your 15% off. That's DoricSkateboards.com. Okay then, Craig. So it was your choice on the Culture Swally this week. So why do you tell us what we're going to be talking about on today's episode? Well, normally we, you know, like most of the stuff that we record, that we talk about in the Swally, at the very least, is a few years old, if not kind of legitimately vintage. Um, but I've gone for something right up to date. Um, it's only just released on uh, STV in the last couple of weeks. Um, we recorded the first series of this uh, last year. As I say, the second series is available now. You will want to listen, to, watch it rather, before you listen to the, the rest of the podcast. But it's the second series starring Dougray Scott, uh, Laura Fraser, Ken Stott, um, and it's Irvin Welsh's crime yeah i mean this just came out well as we're recording this came out last week and as uh, i think we are recording a little bit in advance greg but when this episode goes out it will only have been out i think for 29 days so there is a massive kind of caveat on if you have not seen this Mm. do not listen any further Mm. go and watch it because we will be spoiling it we never really mention in terms of we are going to be spoiling things because most of the stuff we do exactly as you say is like 10 20 years old yeah but we will massively be spoiling this. And I think we will be spoiling some parts of the book that it's based on the Long Knives as well. So you have been warned. Um, So you have been warned. Um, if you we are going to be spoiling the shit out of this uh so yeah season two of crime um i i knew it was coming Mm. but i didn't know it was actually out and it kind of hasn't had a huge amount of fanfare in terms of being announced that it's out i i genuinely wouldn't have known it was out unless because i follow joanna vanderham on instagram because (laughs) because she's lovely because i I, yeah i i i I kind of love her um so i that's the only reason i really knew it was out and i'm so glad you know i i i 
text you straight away. I was like, Crime Series 2's out. Mm. And I watched the first episode that night. We recorded Tiger next day and, and you picked this. And yeah, I, I devoured the series in like three days and I've watched it twice through since <laughs> because I wanted, to, I wanted to watch it properly and I wanted to make notes again. Um, so obviously it's based on the follow-up to Crime, the book The Long Knives, mm. which came out last year. I know we both read it yep. uh, pretty much instantly. And it, it, this does stick quite closely to the plot of the book, The Long Knives, but there are quite a few differences. Yeah. I think namely, for example, in the book, Lennox massively goes back on the Ching and the Peeve to yeah. try and kind of solve. But I think they made the decision to leave that out because they, one, they maybe thought it might be a bit too samey as the first season. Yep. And and they, they didn't want to get this reputation of this being about just a junky cop. And you know something? I think it really works that that Lennox stays clean and sober. Yeah. It really, really works in this series. Yeah, I, I I, would 100% agree with that. I mean, in the book, when we catch up with Lennox again, he's still with uh, Trudy, isn't it? Is that, is, yeah. yeah. So he's still with Trudy, her, yeah. and their relationship kind of crumbles, which kind of leads to him falling off the wagon. Um, the other major difference between this and the book is that the book really sort of explores the kind of transgender uh, element yeah. of the story. Um, it goes into a lot of detail. You know, they get Lauren, formerly uh, Jackie, uh, Lennox's old partner, who's now... Jerry. Jerry, sorry, who now identifies as a woman. Jerry McVitie. <laughs> yeah. The biscuit. Um, you know, they... Uh, she has a much bigger role to play uh, in the book mm. than um, than the character does in the TV show. And the the culprit, the murderer, there's a whole backstory about what happened to him in Iran. Mm. You know, him losing his family in a bombing, and you know his treatment at the hands of the the police in Iran and everything else. Um, whereas, you know, I think you know they we'll get onto it later, but how they sort of explain the reasons for Victor committing the murders. It's I think if there's a weaker part of the story compared compared to the book, it's maybe that. But um I, I found it quite interesting that the whole transgender and Fraser um because like the first episode we have Fraser coming to the table in a dress and there's, you know, it's a bit of outrage and etc etc with the Lennox family having their dinner. But then the rest of Fraser's story is sort of anti-establishment, etc. Whereas in the mm. book, in the book, Fraser's going through a kind of emotional transition. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I, so I, I, I would have thought with the kind of with the kind of current sort of transgender debate, and it's you know it's a big story and a big it's it's never out in the news and it's. it's debated uh, on social media all the live long day, especially if you're on Twitter, or I should say X. I'm surprised they didn't want to address it more in the story and bring more elements of the storyline from the book into this into the show, you know? It felt a bit safe. Yeah, I can you see your, uh, it did, but I, I thought they handled it pretty well in terms of the way they did. I thought Lauren was a uh, Rebecca Root, um, who was Castle Lauren, and she is a, a transgender actress, and, and she was, you know, consulted quite a lot in terms of the the way um, things were filmed. I actually thought they they handled it quite well. Yes, there could have been more of it because it is a big part of the book. You're right, and there could have been a lot more of it. But I I wonder if they just they just did enough to kind of get the point across because it, I didn't feel it was just like kind of tacked on like, yeah, yeah. We, we have to include this just, just, just for the sake of it. And I thought, I, I genuinely thought Lauren was fantastic. I would have liked to have seen more of her um, because she was a great character. And I think she has some of the, 
there's one scene in particular is one of my favorite scenes in the whole six episodes and it's the the scene with her and bob toll and we'll come back mm, yeah, to that yeah. later because I, I want to kind of talk about that as when we talk about bob toll in terms of the his character um i thought it was handled quite sensitively but you're right about fraser it is very much a kind of just it it's a, a big thing's made of it in the first episode and then it just kind of goes yeah. away and it's never really mentioned again he's just wearing a dress and stuff yeah i think the only other time we see him wearing a dress is after he's moved in with phrase uh, with uh, lennox and he um mm. he finds one of trudy's old dresses and when he's djing mm-hmm. when lennox yeah. comes in he's wearing it but the rest of the time it's just a sort of standard young man sort of jeans and a t-shirt you know with a, with a band in the t-shirt whatever just a, a quick point about um fraser because th- when i was watching i was like oh, fucking hell, he really yeah. has nailed do gray scott's look and voice yeah and then i realized who it fucking is <laughs> yeah exactly i was like ah oh, it's do gray scott's son yeah. and i'm like that'll be why um yeah brilliant uh He's so much like him, but yeah. scary. I say I'd watched the the whole of the first series, just later episodes. I was like, he's really got the same accent as Dukeri. It's really impressive. Mm. I'm like, ah, that'll be why. Um, <laughs> well, he's um, he's 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 a bit of a star on the rise because he's just uh, he was in um, the HBO version of the Philip Pullman books, uh, His Dark Materials. He had a part in that, so I think he's definitely oh, okay. He's I think he's definitely one to watch uh, for the future. Yeah. So. I, I really enjoyed series two. I mean, I loved series one and I didn't rewatch series one, but what I did was I listened to the Culture Swally reviewing <laughs> series one earlier today to kind of get a review. And I'd forgotten so much that happens mm. in series one, uh, listening to our review of it. And it, and it was great to, to go back and I was like, wow. But I mean, I remember we, we adored series one of this and I, I really enjoyed series two as mm. well. Like, I think it's just a, it's so wonderful to see a show like this on tv and i know it's on a streaming service and i I don't think this would exist you would never see something like this on at 9 p.m on a sunday night on itv yeah but it's still itv that have produced it and i think irvin welsh himself has said that he can't believe itv have let him get away and doing this show doing it the way he wanted to and he's like they've basically changed hardly anything from the scripts that we've we've handed in yeah and and it shows and it's it's so it's so dripping in Irvin Welsh, mm-hmm. and it's just such a great show, and and we're so spoiled like this the last couple of years that we've had like crime and guilt to have two of these amazing yeah. Scottish shows, and I just love that it's just it's just kind of totally Irvin unleashed in terms of it doesn't hold back it doesn't hold back on the accents. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have you have the likes of of uh, Drummond and um and Sally that have you know slightly posher. Edinburgh accents, but Dougie Scott's just giving it all, oh, all got... proper Leith accent, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Ox Gangs, that's where from, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. sorry, Ox Gangs. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it, it's great. I mean, if I'm if I'm being like, I mean, I I did enjoy this, but I I enjoyed the first series a lot more, and it might be because you know the the first series isn't really based on the book as such because the mm. the main narrative of the book crime is Lennox and Trudy going on holiday to Florida because he's having yeah. a bit of a breakdown, he's got to take a leave of absence and he gets involved in, I won't say too much so I don't ruin it, but like about this kind of child trafficking and nastiness in Florida but it alludes to what caused the breakdown which are the events uh, depicted in the first series of crime I, I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy series two, but I knew what was going to happen. Like I knew who the, mm. I knew who the villains were 
because I read the book, you know, which, yeah. you know, I, that's just, you know, that's what always happens if you read the book or something before it's turned into a film or TV show. What were we going to do, right? But whereas with the first series, there was a lot more unexpected things happened for me personally because I had, I've not read the book of crime for fucking maybe 15 years longer maybe and the story is a lot more developed than as it's told in the story of crime you know in the book of crime rather so it was a lot i found it a lot more exciting just because i knew what was going to happen in this one i knew who was going to get killed i knew like nori's brian mccarty's deep dark secrets and uh, Mm. sally's secret and everything else but I enjoyed it, you know, they, and I think the reason I enjoy it so much is because it's, they, the story is very, very well told. You know, I think Dean Kavanagh, uh, who co-writes it with Irvin Welsh, I think I kind of get the feeling he might sort of keep Irvin Welsh in check a bit because Irvin Welsh, you know, in his <laughs> well, in, yeah. in his books, and I'm not necessarily talking about the sort of excessive stuff he depicts, but. It can be, it can sort of dwell into surrealism a little bit in some of his narratives mm. and things, you know. Whereas, um, you know, I think Dean Kavanagh is a TV writer and is probably knows what works, what doesn't work. You know, we can maybe don't have to do that. Let's focus on that. That's going to put the audience off. That's not, etc. Uh, and it's it's fantastically told. And I think if you haven't read the book before you watch it, you'll it, it's an absolute roller coaster. You know, it's fantastic. And the performances from the cast are really what drives it, you know? I I would agree with you on that. I was the same because obviously I read the book and it was only last year. And similarly with crime, it's effectively the first like chapter or two chapters of crime Mm. are kind of, it's almost the aftermath of the confectioner killers and, and Lennox is having his breakdown. So effectively, series one of crime, the TV show, is a prequel to crime the novel yes and then crime the novel takes place and i think that's what because at the end of series one of crime him and trudy go away they they go to florida yeah don't they? they do yeah yeah so effectively the book of crime is what takes place in between series one and series two of crime Mm -hmm. and series two of crime is very much based on the long nights yeah and I think I I was the same as you. I kind of knew what was happening. Like I knew what was going to happen with Sally. I knew about Nori. I knew, you know, about Victor Maslow. Mm. Uh, There was something later on, which we'll come to in the last episode, that I was expecting to happen, but didn't happen. Right. I mean, I'll just say it now. In the book, Fraser does get his hand chopped off, doesn't he? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I think he does. Sure he does, yeah. Because it's bad. positive he does. Because it... I think in the book, the kind of finale is in the tunnel where Ray was raped as a little boy, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, if I remember right. Um, and I think he might get his hand cut off, yeah. Yeah, I'm positive he does, because I was waiting for it when he's mm. teasing with a cleaver, and I'm like, right, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, he, he doesn't, because I guess maybe it wouldn't have worked so well for TV. So I agree. It's the same as anything when you've read the book. It's kind of not as good or not mm. as great. But I, I still really enjoy this. I do think it was maybe toned down slightly in terms of language and stuff. Because yeah. listening to our, um, even from series one, listening back to what we were discussing in series one, a lot of it, you know, you, for example, the scene of Doogie Gilman, uh, that's got rid of the tatty water and stuff. <laughs> like, th- there's none of that in series two. No. And there's, it, I think it is slightly watered down a little bit, but still strong enough to to still be one of the best things I've seen in terms of you know this year. It, it's it's still wonderful. Well, yeah. Um. And and as you say, most of that is driven by the cast. Mm. Yeah. And 
because, I mean, Dougherty Scott won an international Emmy Award for the first series, mm-hmm. for his performance in that. And it, it's so justified. And I think he's just as good in series two. But of course, he's having to act straight. Because mm-hmm. in series one, he was acting drunk and high on Ching for a lot of it. And he did that so well. But in this, he's, he's totally sober and straight, but still delivers an absolute powerhouse of a performance. Yeah, I mean, especially the scenes when he's having his therapy with Sally, you know, and he's kind of breaking down and the scenes when he is in the group therapy, he's in the sort of group therapy sessions and things. Yeah, they're they're brilliant. But I mean, my my (laughs) favourite little thing he does uh, in the whole, that whole series is when he breaks into Time Castle to scatter his dad's dad's ashes on the touchline. And he has this really emotional moment when he's talking to his dad's ashes then the groundskeeper appears and he just like starts laughing and he's kind of walking backwards and he's doing the wanker sign and all that <laughs> you know but they they they, they do that so well because yeah. that's what I've, I've got in my notes like you'll have a really serious emotional scene and then a massive laugh to break the tension yeah so you have that the time castle scene is the perfect example and that's the first one i've got noted down in terms of he's breaking his heart yeah, his yeah. dad's ashes delivering this beautiful speech and then with it he's just yeah giving the wanker fuck <laughs> you and then the next one is i think in the next episode when he's been down the well and he finds these dead girls mm. and he's an absolute wreck and you've just had this roller coaster of emotion yeah and he gets in his car and then toll phones him mm-hmm. and says like i'm leaving stark's applied he's a manipulative racist misogynistic misanthropic alcohol with a short fuse and lennox goes so a strong candidate eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. boss you heard about me jacking in what I must be crazy because I don't even know where the fuck you've been, but I, I want you to apply for my job. Seriously? Like, I mean, I... Get a good candidate. And Tommy Stark's already applied. Good for him. Stark's a manipulative, racist, misogynistic, misanthropic alcoholic with a short fuse. So a strong candidate. Immediately burst out laughing. And, and that's it does it again a couple of times. You have this absolute heart-wrenching scene and then just this absolute fucking belter of a joke that yeah. you just can't stop laughing at. Yeah, he's, you know, to your point, it's been a long time since we've seen Dougray Scott be the, you know, like before um, appearing as Ray Rennick, the Ray Rennick's in crime. You know, like his career has been one of, if you go back to sort of Mission Impossible 2, which I think was like 2000, Mm. or maybe 2001, and he's like the second lead. You know, there's like the crew, like obviously Tom Cruise, then you've got him, and then you've got Thandie Newton. And you you kind of felt like, fucking hell, we're going to have another... Scottish actor who's going to be able to kind of match Hugh McGregor in terms of international success and he's sort of like and I'm not sure why whether it's he's sort of opportunities have passed him by or he's made personal choices or whatever but he's what he's done is do like a lot of really quite interesting things um, and he's taken like supporting roles or whatever mm. but in this one you know he's a lead and you, and you forget what a fucking what a brilliant leading man he is and and I, re- I really hope that this this sort of gives him another kind of flush of the kind of success that yeah. it was looking like at the beginning of the two thousands. You know, before like Gerald Butler came along, and they you know, would they say in the rewatchables market corrected. You know, they can, yeah. I don't think yeah. you know, they say oh well, you know so and so. You you I don't think you could say that uh, Dougie Scott was market corrected by Gerald Butler because 
although when we spoke when we did the vanishing a few episodes ago we mentioned Gerald Butler has done a few quite interesting things but most of the stuff that he's done it's not very not great you know makes money but sort of disposable yeah. whereas um I couldn't imagine an actor like Gerald Butler doing like playing Ray Lennox in crime. I don't think no, he would have like, the, the kind of vulnerability that the, the vulnerability that Dougray Scott brings to the part. I mean, he's like a, like a deeply damaged character because of what happened to him as a wee boy. He's been like raped in a fucking tunnel by strangers, by grown men. That he's and he's been he's been wrestling with this trauma his whole life and looking for ways to deal with it. Joining the police to bring people like that to justice, self-medicating with like alcohol and drugs and everything else. When we catch up with him here, to your point, he's he's actually finally getting the right treatment to help him work through it. But mm. it's not really working for him, you know. It's because he's he's still deeply, deeply troubled by it right up until the very end, where he sort of makes a conscious decision to let things go. And I can't imagine many. I can't think of many Scottish actors around his age that are working now that would that could carry a part like that where he can be really funny, as you just mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, really dry, very Scottish uh, sense of humour, but also show that vulnerability. And he completely sells it, by the way. You, you know, you're, you don't feel like you're watching Dougray Scott playing this character. You know, when mm. it, it can, in his best moments, it, you know, he's, you know, he is living it. You know, he's he's living this character's life and this character's fucking trauma and everything. The absolute pure range of emotions he goes through in the six episodes is just incredible. From the vulnerability he shows when he's, you know, exactly as you said, when he's breaking down to Sally, mm. talking about being raped in the tunnel. The comedy, it's constant. I absolutely love um, the, there's so many parts that, He's just absolutely hilarious. But the the one that just made me burst out laughing, and it's such a stupid thing. It's when his mum and his sister are waiting for him at reception, and he comes down, and he says to his sister, should you know be at work? I know you're no, like, <laughs> to his mum. Like, it's... Uh, yeah. like, I was like, have you not got work to go to? I know you have not. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> like, it's um, just the, the absolute... The, the comedic lines he can deliver, but, you know, the anger that he can give off yeah. as well. But one of the scenes that really nails it for me is uh, the episode two when Toll tells him that... Or is it in episode one? When um, when Toll tells him that Jerry McVitie mm. has intercepted a, an intruder. And when he's in the car with Drummond and he explains, you know, Jerry is mm. was my partner, who I learned from. And I, I did like the little reference there when Drummond says, what, more than... Uh, Robertson and Ginger. Yeah, and I was like, oh yay, a little mention for Bruce and Ginger. Um, and you can <laughs> see that Lennox is really. But what was he saying? He says, "Oh well, it's a pretty low bar." You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you you can see that Lennox is really nervous because he he says, "I've never met Lauren." Yeah. And when he goes in and he meets Lauren and immediately just gives her a hug. Yeah. You you just melt and you'd like Lennox is such a fucking good guy. Yeah. Like he's such a good guy and he's trying to be better, but. He is deep down, you know, he takes his nephew in, he makes a cunt of it and, you know, he's having parties, but Lennox doesn't say anything until it kind of comes to breaking point. But he's just, he's such a wonderful, complex character. He's so damaged. He's so good at his job, Mm -hmm. but the emotion he gives is so raw. And genuinely, I think Degree Scott, the range he shows in this is just absolutely phenomenal. Do you not think he must be, like after 
like shooting a series of crime. Do I think he must be fucking like exhausted, Dougie Scott? Because yeah, yeah, you know, like the scene, yeah. the scene where Sally, like his last scene with Sally when she's about to commit suicide, and he's very calm, but there's tears fucking running down his cheeks. Yeah, when he's talking to her, you know, and and. You can't, like, you know, I would have, well, I've never really acted uh, really before, but I imagine if to make yourself cry on camera, you have to, like, really focus on something really troubling or something that really upsets you or has upset you and things. Mm. And he's putting himself through that for a performance. He must, he must, mm-hmm. he must just be fucking knackered at the end of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because, like, more so than any of the other, and not to take anything away from any of the other actors, and I'm sure we're just about to talk about some of them now, but, but you know, just like you say, the, the range of emotions that he has to portray on screen and put himself through the fucking re- the, the the seething fucking frothing at the mouth rage the you know the the upset tears sadness and everything he must take, he must take like a fucking month off when he when he yeah. when he's after his last scene shot he must be like right that's a fucking just sh- I'm shutting myself off I'm chilling out and, you know uh, I think he he gets it a bit easier this series because I think in the first series in pretty much every scene mm. but. In this series, they they do go in and explore some of the other characters a lot more, and yeah. I think that's that's partly because series one did such a good job of just building those characters mm-hmm. enough so that you can now go on to to develop and and you can go into their backstory. And I did read the Irvin Welsh um, in an interview. He basically said, "Look, like most of these like police dramas and shows you see, like there's." There's just characters that are just in the office in the background. Yeah. And they'll just like, they they would just be handing Lennox like a bit of paper mm. or something. And you would never kind of see them again. And he said he didn't want that in crime. So that's why you have like Struthers and Sophie and Jill. They have like a whole storyline. Yeah. Because they're an important part of the team. And he didn't want them to just be like a bit part background kind of actor. And I think that works well. And and it is good that you can go into their background, although Struthers is obviously new in terms of the team. Yeah. But I think that works well that that you do have that in terms of being, you, you feel you know the whole team. So when they do come together for a scene, you know what yeah. they do and, and what's happening. And, and I think that works really well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I mean... I guess, like, the character of uh, Tommy Stark, that he's... I can't remember... I guess he's basically Gilman. I'm thinking... His storyline is Gilman in the book, right? Yeah. Yeah, Gilman is... That's what I... I I can only presume Jamie Sives was busy filming Guilt. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Because... Gilman is in the book because I did go back and reread the last chapter of The Long Knives just to double check. And it is, yeah, effectively... Lennox gives like Gilman and Drummond credit for something mm. and Drummond messes like you know we can't get rid of Gilman now and he's like oh that's okay yeah um but yeah Gilman is very much in so I can only presume Jamie Size is busy because Stark is he's not a direct replacement for Gilman but he's no. pretty much like he's he's close-ish he's got a mustache and he's <laughs> a a sex addict and likes a peeve but He's not, and likes visiting the saunas, but he's not the exact replacement for Gilman. Yeah, I was... I missed Gilman. I missed Doogie Gilman so much. Yeah, I mean, and I hope, because I guess what they could have done if they had wanted is they could have recast the part. So I'm hoping... Yeah. I'm hoping that if they go to do a third series... And I can only imagine that a third series might be Lennox sort of on his own, 
maybe private investigator type thing. Do you know what I mean? And maybe Gilman, the, if Jamie Sykes is available, then maybe they can they can bring the Gilman character back in because he's supposed to have left the police as well in the narrative of season two of Guilt. Gilman's gone, right? He's lost his job. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously I was saving this for the end, but yeah, the third book in the series, which is titled Resolution, will be out in July 2024. I thought that was supposed um, to be like a prequel, though. No. Oh, it's not? Oh, okay, no. cool. So the next book is the third part of the crime series, and there will be a third series of crime, which will see Lennox go rogue. Mm. And I had the exact same thought as you. I hope that Doogie Gilman helps him out, yeah, yeah. and that we get to see Jamie Sahu's back for for the third series. But I mean, I, anyway, I, that's I love planning the, ahead. The, the, that last moment in the first series of Guilt when the confectioner has reduced Lennox to a fucking absolute emotional wreck in the interview room, and Toll lets Gilman loose, and he's like, yeah. right, and he, he grabs the he grabs the cloth off the yeah. thing. <laughs> He fucking kicks the door in. And, uh, you know, like, you know, I know that John Sim is, you know, he's supposed to be, but I wonder, you know, is how much of that, of John Sim's reaction is prepared acting and how much of it is, holy fuck. <laughs> you know, it's like a raging, long-haired, bearded Scottish guy with a fucking wet cloth coming towards him. You know? <laughs> Um, so, well, let's talk about the rest of the cast. I mean, I guess, first off, we'll talk about Joanna Vanderham, just because... She's your favourite. Hey, um, as Amanda Drummond, a lot more fleshed out this series mm. in terms of the character. She has her own storyline involving a sex tape. And again, she's great. I mean, she was great in series one, and I think she's great in series two. I think she's brilliant in this. I think, you know, obviously we'll, we go through her awards at the end, but there are she has moments in this where she almost steals the show. Almost. Mm. You know what I mean? Like... Mm-hmm. The scenes, just the the scenes where she's on her own and she's in her apartment, she's having like a glass of wine, and the cats are getting on her nerves and everything, you know. And then, and especially the scenes with her and the ex boyfriend and the the ex boyfriend's new girlfriend, you know, she's absolutely brilliant because yeah. you know, she's like she's playing this very ambitious uh, female detective who feels that she has to work twice as hard because she's in like a male dominated job where she doesn't get the respect that she feels she deserves she's working with guys like tommy stark who's a fucking you know is a bit a bit of an acquired taste to say the absolute least and um you know and and, you know and some of the choices she makes in that subplot you know i think in the hands of a poorer writer and a poorer actress it would seem a bit like she wouldn't do that she wouldn't break into their house You know what I mean? She would, yeah, but it's totally believable. You get, you get it because she's, she, you know, she, she is so convincing as this very driven, ambitious woman who's about a bit ashamed of some of the mistakes that she's made in the past, but doesn't want to let anything get in the way of her progression. No, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, you're right. Totally career driven, and she is just, you know, the she takes no shit from Stark. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah. And she's absolutely just goes at him. Um, I think they said it so well when initially when Lennox is first day back and him and Drummond are in the car and they're speaking about Gilman. Mm. And when she says, look, he was, I had to share a car with him. He couldn't keep his hands to himself. Yeah. You know, I made a complaint and then two other women came forward mm-hmm. and immediately raised like, it's not your fault. It's his fault. Yeah. Like, he, he's, he's the one that got himself fired. It's nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that sets the tone so well 
in terms of that Linux is sound and everything's fine, but whereas Stark obviously has an issue with this. But I, yeah, I agree. She is absolutely brilliant. The scenes, some of the lines she comes out with when she's with her ex and his new girlfriend, yeah. it's it's just <laughs> absolutely brilliant. And you're right, she would be driven to, to break into their flat and getting Jill to delete them off the cloud. And she delivers the, oh, it's her facial expression when they're watching the sex tape in the toilet. <laughs> and Jill says, hi. How did you manage to do that with your leg? And she just gives her this look like, yeah. well, you know. And <laughs> like impressive, isn't it? It's oh yeah, she's so good. And yeah, just absolutely brilliant character. My, and I'd, I'd love, you know, I'm looking forward to spending more time with her in series three when it comes. My my favorite moment that she has is when Stark thinks that he has got her. You know, he's found out, he's inadvertently yeah. found about the sex tape and everything. Because I wasn't really sure what she was about when she's meeting with the, the lady that does the prostitute, uh, the lady does the podcast about prostitution and stuff. I wasn't really sure what yes. she, she was getting at there. And when Starks, like, oh, you know, they've got this sex tape and she's got exactly the fucking same <laughs> of him, <laughs> like, sleeping with uh, witnesses to serious crimes. Because I'm kind of like, oh no, like, you know, you're, you're, you're good. He's, he's got you, Drummond. You're going to come undone here. And she's like fully prepared, you know. And they make a, yeah. they make a little pact that, well, if you get, <laughs> if you get it, I'll, I'll quiet, I'll quietly transfer. And he, and if I get it, I'll quietly transfer. You know, I, I thought that was a great moment between both those characters. I thought she does throw Lennox under the bus during her job interview, though. Yeah, she does. But again, you kind of, you know, you kind of let her get away with it because, again... She has a point. She has a point and she also, you know, she is, like we said before, she's very ambitious and she's, you know, she feels she's had the Gilman, she's had the Starks, you know, she doesn't feel that she's always been taken seriously because of her gender and the job that she has. Mm. And and she's, like, fiercely ambitious because I'm sure when she sleeps with Lennox in the book, she's a bit weird afterwards and a bit distant yeah. and things whereas in the show you know when he, when he tells her that he's leaving she's like well that'll make things easier then you know and and you get you know you get this she's actually as much as she's thrown him under the bus she's like really attracted to him you yeah know? yeah you know she's she's brilliant she's like a fantastic actress and i'm sure we'll see a lot more of her uh not not in the way you're thinking but you know <laughs> yeah not in the way i'm hoping but yeah um yes i uh, yeah i'd look forward to seeing a lot more of her because she is an absolutely fantastic actress and mm. uh, yeah she's just brilliant and a brilliant character as well so yeah. well done yeah. um for amanda drummond yeah mm-hmm. um I guess next we we can speak about David Elliott as as Stark. Um, We kind of touched upon it earlier. He is basically a straight replacement for Dookie Gilman, but he's a bit more, I don't know, a bit more vicious maybe in terms of his, he's got a real dislike for for, uh, Drummond and he's got a bit of a dislike for Lennox as well. He does. I would say. He, what I, I felt with him, he is maybe a bit more passionate about policing than maybe Gilman was. In the first series, yeah, you're know? right. Yeah. Actually, yeah, you know, it doesn't do it the right way, but you know, he's if he's he feels strongly. Um, he does have a couple of great lines and a couple of great scenes, though. I think that my personal favorite is when he's chatting up the doctor's receptionist and when she comes out with the "I'm old enough to be your mother" <laughs> yeah. and he says, "No, you're <laughs> old enough to be my lover." <laughs> Must have been frustrating. The great love you had for him. By his own only ever going to this place. He was devoted to the community. 
He didn't look at you the way a man should look at a beautiful woman. What? What are you saying? He did not look at you the way a man should look at a beautiful woman. You can't say that to me. I'm old enough to be your mother. No, you're not. You're old enough to be my mother. <laughs> and he's coping her in the car. <laughs> um, it's, <laughs> it's, he very much, they channel all of the words through him because he is the one that comes up. Well, he must have been coping somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Or he does say, yeah, a couple of, um, a, a, quite a few of the, the Irvin Welshisms seem <laughs> to come out of his mouth. And when he does deliver the in the job interview, they used to call me Iron Man, <laughs> yeah. like after the billionaire Playboy, because <laughs> he gets results. What, what is it? He says he says something like, you know, when when when, when things go about Princess Michael. Remember? <laughs> so yeah, it was fucking such a that's a real Irvin Welshism for sure. But. Let me ask you something about Nick Elliott because I couldn't. I've, I, when I, I, earlier in the week, uh, where you and I were talking on the on WhatsApp, it was difficult to find a lot of information about who played who and characters and stuff because because it's right. so new. The usual things like IMDb, and Wikipedia hadn't really been updated. Nick Elliott, I think, bears a resemblance to uh, Eamon Elliott, the actor. Do you uh, mean Do you mean David Elliott? What did I say? Nick Elliott. Yeah, David Elliott. Nick sorry. Elliott. David yeah. Elliott. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. And I wondered if they were brothers. Because there's a resemblance. Are they, actually? Well, because there is, actually, yeah. Yeah, there is a resemblance. Um, but I checked yesterday, and I guess he's he's a relatively... He's a bit of a newcomer, um, David Elliott. So I couldn't really find out. But I was sure there, there is, a there is like, a resemblance there. And I thought, I wonder if they're... Um, I wonder if they're related. He does have this annoying kind of trend of repeating the last word <laughs> that everyone says in their sentence, which Lennox does point out at one point, like, this is getting really fucking annoying yeah. doing this. And I don't know why he does it, but he just, it's a its a very strange kind of uh, thing yeah. that he does. And I do like when they're, when they go to Erskine's flat and they're reading it and they, they find the porn tapes and he's like, he's fucking dead to me. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> he's already dead. <laughs> fucking short eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the scene, the scene. I was reading an interview with uh, with the lovely Vanderham, um, and apparently the scene, and I think it's episode one or two when uh, Stark is he's living in his car. We never really find out mm. why, but we can assume that because yeah. he's made an arse of a relationship or whatever, and he's trying to bang one out. And he can, and then he sees a couple argue, so he gets he goes yeah. and sets about the guy. What they didn't realise when they shot that scene at night, uh, regrettably, the scene with him assaulting a guy with a baseball bat was filmed outside like a kid's nursery. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> she was like, yeah, that we didn't really realise that at the time. And we got in a little bit of hot water as a result. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is hilarious when he goes down to Keith and Cressida's uh, with a baseball bat and tells them, you are in deep shit. And then obviously watches the porn <laughs> and what he says about that he's a Christian and have to forgive mm -hmm. and <laughs> yeah. when he says he's a Christian you see her eyes kind of like really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, like, 
<laughs> See, I thought what might happen there was, as much as he didn't like Drummond, it would be that sort of police code. Well, you know, I don't like her, but she's one of us. And you can't... You know, yeah. I'm not going to stand for you fucking blackmailing her, you know? Yeah. Um, But it, it went a different way. But he's he is fantastic. I mean, <laughs> I know, I mean, there's something about fiercely politically incorrect. And when I say politically incorrect, I mean polit- politically incorrect by like 2023's um, standards. And as every year that goes by, it feels like the fucking watermark gets higher and higher mm. from what's acceptable and what isn't. But there's just something really, really funny about that type of character. Whether it's a character on like a drama or a movie like what we're talking about, or whether it's just somebody you fucking meet in the pub. I just, you know, <laughs> I just find that, and then, you know, like I... I, I, you know, like I, I will laugh at politically incorrect humor, but I try to be a good guy and I try to be accepting of people's viewpoints and opinions and the way they want to live their lives and everything else. I try to live and let live and, you know, and like I might poke fun if I'm having a conversation with you, but I would never try and make somebody feel bad for what a choice they've made. Um, no, but I do find people who are just completely unconsciously politically incorrect absolutely hilarious. And like my my mother is a fucking great example, you know. Like my mother's a perfect example because well, we're in the Merchant City in Glasgow, and my my wife. I'm sure I've mentioned this before in the podcast. My wife is she's English, but she's of Caribbean descent. You know, her parents were born in Jamaica, so she's black. And this is like famously a lot of the streets in the Merchant City in Glasgow are named after like old Victorian Scottish millionaires who made their who made their money uh, like by growing tobacco and stuff overseas. Mm. And they were slavers. Right, Frankie Boyle's got yeah. a very very good documentary about it, which you should go and check out if you're interested. So we were having some lunch in um, my friend's restaurant in the Merchant City at Marchanta. Go and try it out, listeners. It's very good. And uh, and I we got onto it. Mum was saying much like the Merchant City, and I was like, you know, a shame that all the streets are named after slavers. And my mother, in front of her black daughter-in-law, said, "Yeah, but it was such a long time ago, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really long time ago." And I was like, "What do you mean, what?" Slavery. She was like, yeah, but it was hundreds of years ago. I was like, I think people still feel quite passionate about it. But she's why? <laughs> why? It was it was it was a long time ago. So I thought, right, I'm just I'm just gonna quickly steer the conversation on it, right? Are you enjoying but tell me, Mum, what more importantly than that, it was a food. Are you enjoying your dinner? <laughs> um Oh dear. But I did and my wife had a good her and I had a good laugh about it afterwards. Um but uh but yeah, politically incorrect people just fucking crack me up. Um I'll save one of the best for later on. But as much as I was very disappointed in the first episode when I was watching the opening credits and I uh, didn't see Jamie Sives' name. Yeah. I was equally delighted when I saw Brian McCarty's name yeah. pop up. Yeah. Because Brian McCarty's. I'm always delighted when I see him in something. He's such a great addition to this cast. And similar to you, I'm almost upset that I knew Nori Erskine's story. Yeah. Because it was quite exciting knowing, like, there's something not right with him. What's yeah, he up to? yeah, like, yeah. Something he's not right. What's he hiding? And McCarty, he delivers it with a... If you watch this and you didn't know, like, he delivers it with such a great performance. He's such a good actor. McCarty's one of those actors where whenever you see him in anything, I mean, I think the last sort of contemporary thing I saw him in was, I always forget the name of it, 
we've mentioned it in the podcast before, but it was the drama with Sean Bean and Stephen Graham when Stephen Graham plays the tr- the prison. Oh uh, uh, yeah, it's a uh, time. Time, I think. yeah, yeah. And McCarvey yeah. plays this the, 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 the sort of wing boss. Yeah, and he's. I mean, he's. He's the best thing in oh, time, I think. Brilliant. I mean, and, and totally different from the character in Laurie. I mean, you know, yeah. he, he, he at first you think he's quite a nice fella and he's helping Sean Bean out mm-hmm. and everything. And then you see the other side of him when he's blackmailing Stephen Graham's character and you just think, fucking hell. Um, and in this, like, I, made a, I made a note um, in episode three that like, I was worried that we wouldn't see, that, Mc, that McCarty wouldn't have enough to do because it wasn't until like episodes, uh, no, episode four rather, not episode three, episode four, when we, we see a lot more of what type of person he actually mm-hmm. is. You know, um, when he's doing Ching with Angus in the toilets. And yeah, stuff. Um, and but before that, when he's on the stakeout, you know, he's got the knife and the glove box and things. Um, and you, you know, it's like obviously I knew how he was connected, but again, try, I was trying to sort of, I was trying to kind of watch it from the perspective of not knowing what was going to happen, having not read the book. You know, I mean, it's it's just I, whenever I see Brian McCarty in anything, I'm just like, why the fuck is he not in everything? <laughs> you know, yeah. he's fucking brilliant. There was there was yeah. there's a show that he's in where he plays the second lead that uh I wanted to try and put on the get to do the on the podcast. And if I can get hold of it, maybe we will. And it was one it was a not a million miles away from crime, but it's like a, a kind of police procedural drama that he's in with Mark Strong, the actor, uh, called okay. uh, Low Winter Sun. Um, okay. The reason it's so hard to get is because Mark Strong remade it in America a couple of years ago. Ah. So whenever you look for it, it's all it's the American one. And it's, I, th- I think it's set in America and McCarty's not in it. But they play like two kind of corrupt policemen, like the partners. Um Oh, yeah. It's, I can see the, yeah, 2006 and 2013 version, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, well, yeah, a long time ago then. I thought it was more recent, the American one. Um, and McCarty's fucking brilliant. And it was just after he'd done those daft adverts. Remember, he was in that advert campaign. I can't remember what it was for, but it was in like a sort of chicken costume. I don't remember mm. what there was. Iron Brew or something, maybe I can't remember. But I remember really, really enjoying that. Like, I thought it was it was like a two parter, maybe or a three parter on Channel Four. It was fucking brilliant. And uh, and again, you know, he, he is again. And to get a cat to, to get an actor like Brian McCarty in for this part is an abs, you know, it's an absolute fucking revelation to be able to get yeah. him for it. But he's so good, you know. He, and I think you know, yeah. I kind of feel like he's sort of read the script and thought, well, it's a good part. Not in it. Not in the first few episodes too much. Bit of a background character. But fuck it. I'm just going to fucking chew the scenery every chance I get. And he fucking does. (laughs) Yeah, it says a lot that one of the, you know, one of the most chilling shots is when he's in the car and just the the view is literally the rear view mirror and just his eyes. Mm. And you're like, holy fuck. Nori's unhinged. Something's really up here. And the the acting he does with just his eyes is just incredible. Yeah. And when he's getting the knife at the glove box and stabbing and drinking straight vodka, you're like, fucking hell, what's going on with Nori? He's unhinged. I thought he was okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, he's, yeah, absolutely brilliant performance from Brian McCarty as has he ever been bad I don't think I've ever seen him in anything I think he's I, I think, think he's been bad I mean I think he's uh, I think we've had a bit of interaction with him on our Instagram page I think he's liked a couple of I posts I think you're right actually yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's it's the voice his voice 
He said, yeah. you know, you don't hear men speak like that. I mean, when I was a kid, it felt like every, every like all my grandas' mates seemed to have that kind of voice because they all smoked fucking Navy Cup mm. fags. And, you know what I mean? They all had... Hu- yeah, you're right. <laughs> but that voice is, it is literally like gravel. The people say, oh, it's a voice like gravel. His voice is like gravel, you know? Yeah. I, I, I couldn't even do an impression of it because it would hurt my sore throat. <laughs> I guess let's get on to probably my second group favorite performance in this series is Ken Stott oh, as Bob Toll. Yeah. He is just incredible in this. I mean, to be fair, all the cast are, mm. but there's just something about Stott's performance in this series for me that absolutely just, oh, he's just incredible. His speech about not being for this world anymore. Yeah. And after Drummond's kind of given him the he, she, they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really get the sense from that that he's a broken man who's at mm. the end of his wits and, and you genuinely feel sorry for him. And like his facial expressions when he's during Lennox's interview and he's like, oh, fuck, oh, Jesus. But genuinely, as I say, one of my favourite scenes of the whole series is when he's talking with Lauren. Yeah. And he's saying he knew Jerry, he could talk to Jerry. And I, I just love it when Lauren turns to him and goes, well, take a girl for a drink. Yeah, but yeah. it'll be slick with tonic, you know. I know what you're like, and and Bob just cracks up laughing. <laughs> yeah. and you're just like, oh, it's so good to see. Like, oh, like Bob and uh, Lauren are going to get on so well. Yeah, like it's it's so heartwarming to see that. But yeah, Ken Stott just absolutely brilliant. I don't know. She's telling the truth, Bob. Now, I've been out of the force a long time, but this place hasn't changed a bit. It's bloody unrecognisable, Jerry. I can't keep up. Sorry. Lauren. Of course. It's okay. Uh, (laughs) It's not okay. This job is about right and wrong. I used to know the difference. But now I can't open my mouth without saying the wrong thing. You're, You're learning. Society's lost the art of patience. Revolutions are an education, Bob. I, I haven't got the energy. I, every day I walk the tightrope of being cancelled. I don't even know how to talk to you. You can say anything to me. We've known each other 30 years. Well, I knew Jerry. I, I'm probably saying all the wrong things. But Lauren and Jerry are not the same person. You might like Lauren. You should take a lady out for a pint one night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although, I should warn you, be strictly platonic. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> I, I love the scene when he's on the phone, but he's, he's sort of taking a bit of personal time to take his grandson to the park. He's sitting on the yes. bench with his grandson. Yep. And he's, you know, he keeps sort of looking at the grand, you know, he's getting fuck. he's trying not to fall into his usual sort of sweary uh, discourse and he keeps sort of, and then he ends up just doing it anyway, you know. <laughs> he's, I mean, how many fucking, I mean, how many policemen has Ken Stott played in his career? I mean, famously, he played Rebus for years. It's the third time we've discussed this. Yeah. Be so the bit. On the podcast. We discussed this in The Debt Collector and we discussed this on Crime Series 1. The reason yeah. I know that is because I've listened to Crime Series 1 today yeah. and we discussed it and I said we discussed this in The Debt Collector. <laughs> right. But yes, Ken Stott has played a policeman probably almost more times than anyone else. Yes, more than most actors. So you can get, you can sort yeah. of, uh, 
playing the kind of veteran on the edge of retirement policeman um, probably <laughs> came quite naturally to him. You know, I thought, <laughs> yeah. But he's yeah, he's, he's had enough. He's fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, he's he is very very funny. But the scene mm. after you mentioned it earlier when we're talking about Dougie Scott when Lennox has been down the well and he's you know he's he's accidentally in the dark he's put his hand through the sort of skull of the poor wee girl mm. that's been murdered and he, you know he's fucking an emotional wreck and uh, and Toll embraces him you know he's yeah. you know cause he's upset he's fucking crying his eyes out over what he's just experienced and um you know again the, the whole dynamic between Stott and scott you feel like these guys are guys who have worked together for a long time mm-hmm. and yeah there's the respect is there you know like like uh lennox respects the seniority respects the position and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh toll respects what a fucking good copper lennox is despite all these emotional problems and everything he knows you know he wants them to get on like he's like you mentioned before, when the selection uh, process for the interview, you know, when when then it says I don't want this job and starts mm-hmm. roasting the sort of the more senior uh, officers, and it's just like fucking hell because he really cares about Lennox and he wants them to get his act together, get his life together, and the kind of penultimate scene that they have together when Toll's packing up his desk and he gives Lennox his little cactus and they embrace again and they have a laugh and stuff. You do feel like, although we've only spent two series with these characters, it feels like the end of a really long era. It would be like Taggart fucking retiring and hand, and with Jardine, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, 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 you really feel it. That's the the two scenes that really nail it for me. I think are the the last scene they have together, the the cactus scene. Mm. The, and and I that's so funny when Toll pricks his oh yeah bastard, <laughs> yeah, and hands it to Lennox, and then he does exactly oh yeah bastard. It's it, yeah. brilliant. But the 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 pre the scene before that that they share together after the interview mm. and Toll Max he goes well you've fucking done it now and he rants at Lennox about I gave you every opportunity I let you get away with fucking mur- homicide <laughs> yeah. and because that's such a great running joke throughout yeah. the whole series that yeah. murder has to now be called homicide and none of them can do it and then they just have this amazing laugh about it yeah. when Lennox like fucking homicide eh? <laughs> and ah uh, it's beautiful that scene that they share that kind of laugh they've just had this this massive kind of you know tolls so angry at him you've fucking done it now you've let mm. me down and then they just end up laughing together I always did let you get away with fucking mu- homicide. Fucking homicide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, he's just, it's just fantastic, uh, Ken Stott. I mean, I, you know, such a, such, such a nuanced actor. You know, I mean, I guess, you know, like from a different perspective you could say oh well you know this is like fucking bread and butter to him playing a policeman but if you think about all the different police characters that he's played they're all very different you know yeah, like, they are i mean yeah they're policemen that's the only thing they got in common but they're completely different you can't compare the the policeman he plays in the debt collector to rabus no. or to bob toll for yeah. example yeah, just, exactly. just picking three but he's played a lot more than that but yeah yeah you can't really um compare any of that but yeah it's yeah absolutely, it's absolutely fantastic in this yeah though the next uh, you know i know he's not in it very much and he's not scottish 
But I think we'll say something about uh, John Sim. I've always mm-hmm. really, really liked John Sim as an actor. I've all, you yeah. know, like everything that I was seeing. I remember an old movie that he was in. I probably mentioned it in the last when we did series one. Um, Boston Kickout was one of the first things that I saw him in. He's in it with maybe um, I don't know. He's in it with uh, Andrew Lincoln and a couple of other actors. Um, you did mention yeah. it, yes. Um, so, but, but I, I, I feel like I've been there the whole time with John Sim. And, you know, I feel like, you know, he, obviously they all the best actors take it very seriously. But for him to come on this, and in this series, it's a pretty small part, The Confectioner. It's, it's important. Like one day's work, yeah, probably. but it's important. There's only a, a few scenes, but it's a small part. But for him to agree to play the fuck. The worst type of human being, you know, like a child, mm. a child murderer. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's fucking really brave, you know. And it's not even like he's picking, he's made the decision to play this character where he's one of the leads, like he was in series one and whatever, you know. But a lot of actors, I think, wouldn't take a part like that because, you know, it's a, who wants to be associated with that type of person? You know, it's a, it's a job and everything else, you know, you're acting, you're, it's a performance, it's not real. But there's not many actors that would agree to play like a paedophile or a child murderer or a rapist or something, you know, um, especially when they've they got su- when they're such an established actor. I'd imagine. I mean, I've just checked. John Sims fifty three mm-hmm. now, yeah, and he has you know forever played kind of the good guy in a way in terms of everything we kind of know him for in terms of you go with the lakes or human traffic, life on Mars, yeah, Ashes to Ashes. He wasn't in Ashes to Ashes, was no, he? No, no, no. It was no, it was Keely Hawes. Um he's always kind of been the the goodish guy. Mm. Although he played evil guy in Doctor Who, didn't he? Did the master. Did he play the master. I the, yeah, but yeah. That's, so there's a big there's a big gulf between like a science fiction fucking <laughs> renegade and time lord a, and a fucking a child murderous, rapist, murderous yeah. nonce you know <laughs> i wonder i i think a lot might have had to do with the fact it was her from welsh maybe yes yeah. and and the fact like maybe degree scott yeah was in it also yeah. because they're they're probably contemporaries around about the same age yeah around about the same time yeah and i i think given the age that the john sim is i'd imagine the fact that he's been approached to do would you like to do an Irvin welsh thing mm-hmm. he's probably been like yes of course i fucking would yeah and you know it doesn't matter all and, and of course he's getting older now so it's 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 ideal that he's going to take on darker roles because yeah. that's probably that's what happens when you get older you are going to end up playing the pedo you are <laughs> going to end up you know you're either going to end up playing inspector morse or jimmy savile so this, you know it's this, there's only two ways so this is nicky's warning to all actors that are going to <laughs> chances are you're either they're going to end up playing the pedo <laughs> you're either going to play gandalf or grandad <laughs> pedo um genuinely you're right it is brave to take on a role like this it, it, it really is but he's he's fantastic and he's only in he's only in one scene uh, I think you hear his voice a couple of times. Yes, yeah. When Verex visits him um, in prison. That's the only scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the only right. scene you actually physically see him. You do hear his voice a couple of times in a voiceover yeah. in Lennox's head. Um, but that's the only scene you actually physically see him. And again, he's brilliant. And I forgot how great he is in the first series. Oh, it's brilliant. He's just absolutely brilliant. Mm. And yeah, he's a great actor. And you're right. He's, yeah. Wonderful. And yeah, I did wonder when it came in and, and Lennox went to see him and he straight to see him, but he, he's playing with him. And mm. I wonder if he'll play a bigger part in series three as well, because someone has been leaking, but I guess it was Sally. Well, that's what that I thought. Leaking, yeah. I the assume, information. Yeah. I assume that yeah. was her. Yeah. 
That's what I assumed, because because Lennox was quite raging about the the guys in the office, but no one seemed to be like, yeah. okay, I've been leaking stuff. I think, yeah, I presume it was Sally that was leaking the information, yeah. which I guess leads us to um, the lovely Laura Fraser. Yeah, as Sally, she's great in um, this. She's really good. Yeah, she is. She's she's wonderful. She was great in series one. She's great mm-hmm. in series two. I, uh, Laura Fraser is great in everything I've seen her in. She's just she's just got this kind of I don't know what it is. Just this vibe about her. Even going back to like small faces mm-hmm. and things like sixteen years of alcohol. Like yeah. Laura Fraser is just always just this lovely woman that I just want to hang out with and just spend some time with. Like she's so lovely. She is, but she's also got like a a sort of intensity about her like even in like small faces which she's very young in that you know and yeah. she's you know she's sort of manipulating all three brothers and things yeah, but, but she's not sort of the the character isn't horrible to any of the three brothers but she's very no but she's clearly manipulating them uh, for whatever reason you know um and unless because I, as I, if I remember rightly from the book, the character of Sally, when the re, when everything is revealed, she's she's a bit she's not very sympathetic as a character, you no. know. Whereas in this, the whole part of the story where she admits that revenge hasn't made her feel any better, it hasn't mm. it hasn't helped. It's if anything, it's made her it's made her feel worse, you know, because does she commit suicide? You know, and that and again. You know, she brings that vulnerability to the role where we learn that the character of Sally has been raped by three by the three of the guys, one of which she's not managed to not hasn't been killed, but he's been like Piggott Smith, he's been what's the word uh I'm looking for? Castrated. Castrated, yes. And but the other two uh, have been murdered. And um four. Four. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I mean the rapists though, like there's three rapists, so she's two because I thought there was. I thought there was three, but but Nori didn't stop. Two, Nori two didn't... raped her, one held her down. And ah, one right. Okay, fair enough. Um, so okay, there you go. Um, but we don't know. We know that. Um, we know Richie Gulliver definitely raped her. Yeah, she said he was the most violent, but yes. she doesn't say who held her down. I, I think we're led to believe. Um, Peggy Wilkins probably raped her as well. Yeah. So it might have been the doctor that held her down and. We know that Nori just watched, but yeah. yeah. But she does clearly say, um, two raped me, one held me down and one watched. Yeah. Um, but, you know, conveying this, um, you know, they, she turns it into like a real, a really tragic character. Because yeah. like, this horrendous thing's happened to her. She has taken revenge in the fucking, the most brutal way. But mm. she's, if anything, she's more damaged. She still can't move past it. And it leads her to taking her own life. And... You know, Laura Fraser's just fucking a tour de force, I think. Um, absolutely. And, and that's kind of her message to Ray, because she can see that Ray is going down the same path that she's going to. Because yeah. Ray does say, you know, I would fucking destroy, I would kill them mm. if I got my hands on the yeah. guys that rape. And she can see he's going down that road. So I think that's why she calls him and gets him round to say, look, I've done this and it doesn't make me feel any better. So yeah. yeah. I'm a way to kill myself. Like, it's, it doesn't help anything. So don't go down that road. But. I guess he potentially will in the um in the third yeah. uh, book and third series. We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I think that's the the reason. But yeah, you're right. She's she's brilliant in this. She's just so lovely and likable, but then has this just dark edge into her. Yeah. And this this kind of twisted uh, narrative that she's she's going through. And she has this she has this fondness for Ray as well, because it's mm. you know, and I think when she realizes when he 
could be but he tells her that he was raped. She sees she sort of sees a bit of a kindred spirit, and I think that's what leads her to uh, making that revelation to him that it's not going to help. You know, whatever yeah. what, you know what what you're what you want to do is not going to make you feel any better. You have to move, try and move on. Um, yeah, she's great. She's fucking great, Laura Fraser. And then we have, I guess, Derek Riddell as Richie Gulliver. I mean, he's only in the first three episodes. He's such a fucking twat. But he's such a good villain. He's so good. He's such... So good. I I absolutely love it when all the... I think it, it, it's Lennox, Drummond and um, Stark are there. And he keeps addressing Lennox as... Hello, my name is Ray. Yeah. And it's such a fucking condescending but wonderful mm. bit that he's obviously referring to the AA meetings and, and things they go to. But oh he's oh he's brilliant. But yeah, yeah such an evil bastard. Yeah, he's he's such he's such a good villain, you know, playing this sort of smarmy uh right wing politician. And like the scene where he's given the sort of Enoch Powley sort of speech and it's, it's, it's really well constructed up and you know up until the point where the guy tries to attack him and Ray tackles him but mm. it's, it's very true to life because you have people that support him as well that, yeah. that support uh, yeah, yeah. his you know his viewpoint and they're nodding along and stuff and then you've got the ones that are very much against them and mm. you know and then oh, there's the guy that is so against them that he wants to fucking plunge him but unfortunately for him uh, Lennox gets to him first and, and brings him down. And then, yeah. you know, the, Riddell again, he goes from this self-assured to, you know, bit of a fucking prick to, holy shit, you guys yeah. just saved my life there. You know, and he's just, he's been roasting Ray, Ray and calling him, but you say my name is Ray and everything else. And then Ray, who fucking absolutely despises him and everything he stands for, still has got that sense of duty where he jumps in and saves yeah. him. You know? Yeah, has to. It's his job. Yeah, he's protecting. He's got to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's so good, Riddell. He's fucking so yeah. good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you like Grado's little appearance? I loved it. Yeah, I was. I was because at <laughs> at first I was kind of you know oh and then and he's 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 only got a small part but I, I I'm sure for him it's he's like fucking hell going to be acting with Doug, yeah. I'm going to be acting with Dougie Scott you know and yeah he's brilliant you know for somebody who yeah, he's good <laughs> <laughs> for somebody who. Probably, you know, sort of Scott Squad and then uh, uh, Three Doors Down are his proper sort of acting gigs, mm-hmm. you know. And now he's he's this like a high concept, high production value drama, small scene. But I, I, I sort of t- I sort of take my hat off to him. He's probably thought to himself, right, yeah. this could lead to something else. I'm going to fucking bring my absolute A game to it. No, I thought that because the first time I watched that, I was like, oh, fuck, it's great, though. Yeah. Like I knew he was in it, but I wasn't sure what he was in it. I was like, oh, is that it? And then on the second rewatch, I really watched him. And I was like, you know something? He's really fucking good. Like mm. he's only got like two, three lights. Yeah, yeah. But he's really good. Like when he's like, you know, if it's if it's uh, police business, you can fuck off without a warrant. Mm. If it's personal, come on in. Yeah. And yeah, it's it, it's wonderful, really good. I thought he was um, he acted really well. I, I have to say though, like that his place, like Tegsy's place, yeah, it looks like the most fucking depressing fucking place in the world. Yeah. Doesn't it? Like, fuck yeah. Man. I wouldn't fancy going there. No. no, no, no chance. We obviously presume that Jamie Sives couldn't come back 
probably due to filming guilt. And I can also presume that um, the actor, Stuart Martin, who plays um, his brother Stuart, couldn't come back. Yeah. Because they made up that he was filming in Hungary. But I I did read that the actor, Stuart Martin, he is in another show. So I presume they just wrote him out of this series because, and maybe rightly so, because there might have been too many characters involved then if he was doing something into that as well. Yeah, I used, and I not as much as Jamie Sives, but I think this yeah. the scenes with the Lennox family sort of miss him a little bit, you know. But no, you know, it's maybe maybe they've left it open. Maybe he'll be back later on. Uh, it'd be good to see him back. I, I liked the relationship between him and Ray in the first series. The scenes yeah. with him, you know. Um, there's a little cameo in the book, The Long Knives, that I was disappointed. I was kind of fingers crossed. I knew it wasn't going to happen. But I was kind of hoping Sick Boy might turn up at one point, oh. but obviously. Like a little wee Johnny Lee Miller cameo would have been wonderful, but you can't have everything, I suppose. No. Um, I have to say as well, I absolutely love the climax of the Victor and Lennox part, because as much as it's a Scottish TV cop drama, I, you fucking love to see, You'd never see this in anything else, really. A cop smacking the guy with a Bluetooth speaker, <laughs> tasering him, and then screaming, you fucking scumbag, as he's tasering him. Like, you'd never see Morse or Bergerac doing that, would you? Like, no. it's fucking... It's so good. It's like out of a Hollywood film, but you still wouldn't see it in a Hollywood film. It's something about the way... Like, it's not like a, a Hollywood smack. It's just the way he just picks it up and throws it. And yeah, yeah. Victor's kind of like, the fuck was that? And then bang, taser. You fucking scumbag! <laughs> it's, oh, it's, oh, I loved it. I rewound it about six times and watched it again. <laughs> it's so I, good. I, I I liked it. I think I think though, like maybe one of the weaker parts of the script. I think that would have been. Yeah, I mean, it is quite satisfying. I think it'd be more satisfying if we spent a bit more time with Victor's character. You know I would I mean? agree with you on that, yes. Because I, I just felt that, you know, like... And the other thing about the scene is you never really feel like Lennox is in any trouble. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, he, you know, the stakes are high because his nephew, who he's very, who he loves very fond of, is in peril. And so is his friend. Victor's got his cleaver. But I think if, if we had spent more time with Victor... Because the thing is, like I was going to mention this earlier, although we see the, we see the aftermaths of these horrendous murders, it's not very... You don't see an awful lot of violence. Like, at, like actually happening. You know, there's, no. there's the scene where Stark no. sets about the guy with the baseball bat and then Drummond's mm. ex-boyfriend... Um, and then this scene. But even that scene's not very violent. It's just a guy getting a speaker fucking whacked off his canister and then uh, and then tasered. So, it, you know, like the themes are very dark and whatnot, but the yeah. actual violence itself is not gratuitous. No, but I guess they had to tone the violence down so they could put the language up, mm. I would presume. Because, and plus, the violence, it, it's not necessary. You never saw violence on Taggart and stuff. So I oh. think it's... Uh, there are a couple of scenes in Taggart. I can't remember which one. It's maybe Death Call um, when somebody gets like stabbed to death in a telephone box and you know, for like the mm. mid, the, the the mid, even by like modern standards, it's but fucking hell, you know. But uh, no, I, I did like that scene. I did like, I did enjoy it. Um, do you think I could get away with a black polo neck that Degree Scott wears? Because he just makes it look so fucking cool. I think you could get away with it. Did you not wear a polo neck to my dad's funeral with your with your jacket? No, huh? no, it was just a jumper. Oh, was yeah. it? Oh, right, okay. 
Yeah, no, it's a jumper. Pull it off, good looking guy like yourself. I might, might invest in a polo neck just so I can pull it off and look like Degree Scott. You can walk, you can walk, um, the, you can walk around the streets of Amsterdam with your polo neck, your long lambswool <laughs> jacket. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I wish I'd, um, I wish I'd got lock picking skills um, when I tried to break into Petodri <laughs> twenty odd years ago. Just like Ray Lennox has when he breaks into uh, to Tyne Castle, but unfortunately I couldn't. Let's not use his wee, um, his wee police issue uh, tool, because yeah. uh, Drummond uses yeah, the same does. one to break into the flat, doesn't she? Yes. Get the laptop. She does, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So we'll see what happens, because, yeah, there's a, obviously, third book planned in July. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm hoping because I've read an interview with Irvin Welsh and he said there's two books that he's he's working on. So he's um, obviously working on the third part of Crime, which will be out next year, and then he's working on a new train spotting book as well. Oh really? I wonder what. I wonder, they, yes. I wonder. If... It's um. There's there's only one time period he could work on, so he's milking it for all it's worth. There's only one more time period left, right? And that's what it's going to be about. So, which is going to be right right after the events of Trainspotting, between Trainspotting and Porno. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Which we kind of know what happens to the characters, but we don't really know. But yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how it's going to work because Mark's obviously going to be in Amsterdam, like yes, on his own, and then you're going to have Begbie probably in jail. But then we're going to find out what happens to him. Then. Spud, we know he just fucking takes the money that Mark gives him and spends it all on Skag, and then I'm not sure what happens to Simon. Um, it's London in between because when we meet when we meet him in Porno, he's in London, right? He's, if you get the feeling he's been in London yeah. for a while because his his ex wife is English, isn't she? And he's a little boy. Right. Yes, so, yeah. yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, um, but yeah. So we'll look forward to uh, the third book in the crime series, and I'm sure. So you see a crime. I don't know when it'll be out because if July, if the book's not out till July next year, then I don't know that maybe they will fast track a series and get it done for this time next year, or maybe we'll have a two year wait. But, yeah, because um, I think when, yeah. when when we did the first series of Crime, it had been out for quite a while because it was on BritBox, wasn't it? First, you're right. In fact, because I listened to it today, and I think we mentioned it had been out for about a year. So there has mm. been two years in between the series. Because yeah. you're right, because the first series came out, then The Long Knives came out about a year ago. Yes. And then now Series 2's come out, so I guess it'll go the same pattern. We'll have Resolution come out next year, and then probably September 2025, we'll have Series 3 of Crime. Yeah. Okay, cool. So is it time yeah. to put... Uh, series to a crime through the Swally Awards. Why not, Greg? Let's do it. What have we got first? Uh, okay, the first award then is the Bobby the Barman Award uh, for the best pub. So we've got the pub that Erskine and Stark drink in, which I think is round just from the hotel. We've got the hotel bar. Uh, we've got the little kind of social club. They have the doctors thing in and then we've got angus's restaurant but that's a restaurant mm. that's not a bar yeah so i mean the pub erskine and start drinking i'd quite fancy yeah. a, a beer there definitely yeah, yeah. of course yeah. why would okay. you go why yeah. would, why i think would you, i think why would you go anywhere else i think we're <laughs> i think we're in agreement with that then yeah okay that's okay. right up our street okay cool um next award then is uh, the james cosmo award for being and everything scottish i had ellie haddington and ken stott because yeah. is ellie haddington in it enough to qualify she's only a, she's not in it a huge amount but mm. probably enough but yeah it's ellie haddington but ken stott mm -hmm. as well has been in a hell of a lot so i gave it to those as kind of a two-way tie yeah. Um, Brian McCarty could also potentially qualify as well. He's been in a lot, but what did, did you have anyone else? I, different? Had, I had Ellie Haddington. Um, I don't know, like Ken Stott, you know, they, they, they watched the Cosmo Award and 
it's not that odd. You don't really, I can't really think of anything that Cosmo is a lead actor in, but he's always a brilliant supporting actor in the things that we see him in. Whereas mm. Ken, Ken Stott has been a, a lead actor a million times. But the, the, Cos, okay. the Cosmo yeah. Award feels like it's more for that strong supporting role as opposed to a okay. lead you know so that's why i went with, that's why i went with uh, ellie yeah i'm happy to go with ellie okay she's won it quite a few times before i think but she I'm has yeah her. yeah next one then the jake mcquillan your teaser award you were you were talking about about it just a few minutes ago well i actually i had three for this okay um but i'm guessing you're going for ray taking down victor with the bluetooth speaker and yeah. the taser yeah 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 um I I also argued. I mean, that is it is teased. Um, I like Lauren headbutting the intruder. That was a good one when the yeah. intruder comes in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she just fucking headbutts him. Could you say that the ultimate teased is Sally getting revenge on the four guys that raped her? Um, I don't know because I always think a teaser as being sort of sudden, unexpected, devastating violence. <laughs> Like, like uh, Lauren, like fucking sticking the nut on the the guy, yeah. you know. Well, we'll go with Lauren, or we'll go with Ray. I think Ray taking down Victor and with the Bluetooth speaker and the taser yeah. and shouting "you fucking bastard" is um yeah is probably the best. Actually, we'll go with that. This is an interesting question. So the person that Lauren sticks the nut on, I guess we're expected to think that that's like some faithless, uh, faceless servant of the state trying to find mm. evidence uh, to protect Piggott Smith, right? It's not It's not Victor. No, I, I presume so, because at, at one point I wondered if it was Stark because he wears the balaclava and he's got the bat, yes. but he doesn't have a bruise in his head. No. And she really fucking sticks, and the, the fact that she's got a massive bruise in <laughs> yes. her head, yeah. whoever she's head but it must have a fucking humdinger of a uh, an urwilly size egg yeah. coming out the top of his head. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I think it's just meant to be a a guy looking for the documents. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one then is the Hugh McGregor Award for gratuitous nudity. There's not really any gratuitous nudity in it, is there? Uh, no. You do. <sighs> I hate that I'm always the one that spots it for some reason. Why is it always me? Um, you. You do see a little bit of boobies um, in episode three, just after uh, Richie Gulliver's had a threesome in the morning. Oh, yes, yes. Throwing money at them and saying, go and I hope you kill yourselves on whatever, you know, high grade heroin that you spend this money on and whatever. But yes, you you do see a little bit of nudity there. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Yep. I've forgotten about that. Um, Next one then, the no shortage here, but the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. Uh, what did you go for? Well, it was a difficult one to choose, to be honest, because there's quite a lot. I'm sort of interested to know which one you went for. Um, I had two that I really liked, and I, it's two that made me funny, and I've mentioned both of them already. It's the the bastard cactus exchange. It made yeah, me laugh a yes. lot. Yep, that was good. Yeah. But but I think my favourite is the I like you get away with fucking mer homicide and then the whole fucking homicide laugh. <laughs> that made me uh, really laugh a lot. What you know, what surprised me with uh, Stark, considering the character that he is, he's, he's not as sweary as you might expect, you know? No, he's not as sweary as Gilman. No, no definitely not. No. Definitely not. No. But yeah, no, I liked the cactus. I just fucking, hey, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a, Scot- yeah. it's such a <laughs> Scottish thing to say, isn't it? Hey, <laughs> <"Ay>, you bastard. <laughs> 
But it's the simplicity of one person doing it and then the other person doing it. And when Lennox does it, it's the little kind of la- like the knowing nod that Ken Stock gives him as if to be like, yeah, I told you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> um, archetypal Scottish moment. Well, it's it. I mean, it's either the piper on the streets of Edinburgh yeah. when Drummond is walking to um, just before she confronts her her ex boyfriend, mm-hmm. or the Fourth Road Bridge scattering mm-hmm. ashes at the Fourth Road Bridge. I think is quite a, a Scottish yeah. moment. Yeah, or you know, scattering breaking into. Uh, Premiership football fo- <laughs> stadium, <laughs> Scottish, as we've as we've discovered, is uh, is quite archetypal. Yeah, I mean, as always, Edinburgh looks fucking great in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, it's fantastic. Everything that we've done that where Edinburgh features prominently, even filth, like the movie Filth, Edinburgh looks fucking brilliant in it. You know. Um, yeah. I think we gave it the star of the show for Sunshine on Leith. It just it's so sh- it's shot yeah. so well. Um, we did, yeah. And then last up, then I think it's a bit of a foregone conclusion. Uh, but for the, t- the the big Tam Award, who 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 wins it for you? Well, you've said a foregone conclusion. I think you mentioned earlier Joanna Vanderham. I think delivers great performance. I've got Ken Stott as you know yeah. knocking out the park. But come on. It's it's Degree Scott's yeah. show. Yeah, undoubtedly. It's, it's without a doubt. You cannot give it to anyone else. The absolute range of emotions he goes through, the powerhouse of delivery, just the beautiful, the fact that, and I love it about this show, they just don't hold back, you know, with the accents and stuff. And I can imagine a lot of people have to watch this on subtitles to probably understand Degree because he is, yeah. sometimes his accent is so thick. Yeah, and I, you know, we understand it perfectly, but I bet a lot of people struggle. Mm. But he's just—he's oh, wonderful, and he's so good. And I really hope that this, you know, you know, gives him like a almost a Brian Cox kind of of a renaissance life yeah. success. Yeah, because he really fucking deserves it. Because he is so fucking good in this. You know, and like what we men- like we mentioned, I think you mentioned in the last episode of the Swally when we did uh, Tiger Nest of Vipers, and we spoke about the scene. You know. The, if you haven't listened to that episode, Scott plays the murderer in that in that Taggart run, and um, Taggart hits him. And he he said that he, in an interview he spoke about his process as an actor is to be quite um, method, and they invited Mark McManus to hit him for real. So given that, I mean, I've never read about actors like De Niro and that who would call themselves method actors and really immerse themselves in the character. Like I said earlier, like if Dougie Scott still has the same approach now as a kind of veteran actor to what he had when he was a young actor, he must be fucking worn out after filming. Like, I, bet just, he I, I bet he doesn't. You don't, think, you don't no. think he's as he method? I think when he was younger, he's like, yeah, I'm a method actor. Come on, yeah. think about it. This was, what, 1992? Yeah. One of his first roles, Taggart, he's like, yeah, I'm a method actor. Yeah, I like to get into the role. No. Once McManus punched him, he's like, fuck this. <laughs> I'll do that again. You know? <laughs> I, might have to, I might have to prick my finger for real in this fucking cactus. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I I wouldn't imagine he's um, he's a method actor. Yeah. And, uh, never know. Uh, do agree, let us know. Get in touch. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Um, We'd love to hear let from us you. Know if you are still a method actor, but <laughs> um, but no, I wouldn't imagine so. But never mind. I don't. Well, well, there you are. There you have it. Crime series two. Absolutely loved it. Mm. I can't wait for. Well, I can wait for series. I have to wait two years probably because yeah, um, nobody fucking choice. Wait. I mean, there's no way 
you know something as we've spoken about it because you're like well i knew it was going to happen mm. like there's an insane part of me it's like well do i wait until i watch the tv series for i read the book not a fucking chance i would yeah. never wait a year to read an irvin welsh book i no. would be devouring that book the fucking second it comes out i know i wonder what else because anyway. he has when i follow irvin welsh on the, the socials and i've read a lot of interviews with him and i know that i think he's quite keen to get more work of his filmed because if you think about it he's 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 sort of he, he, he's he's written quite a lot of books now but the only ones that have been like put on film or tv is obviously train spot and famously filth uh train spot and two slash porno there's bits of porno and train spot and two um it's not mm-hmm. particularly a uh, true adaptation of the book and now crime but you know this is ecstasy and the acid house yeah we don't talk about ecstasy and the acid house is yeah i suppose the acid house is, is true but you know there's a lot there's quite a he's got he's he's actually made and to use like modern terminology he's sort of built quite a rich universe because quite a lot of his characters overlap in the different stories in smaller ways you know well we know that there is i don't know if it's in production or if it's in it's in pre-production or some point but we know there is going to be a blade artist tv series of course starring robert carlyle yeah um if you think about that the other things he's done i I would love i would absolutely love to see uh a, like a four-part miniseries or even a six-part um of glue yeah yeah that would be it. incredible yeah um you're never gonna get a, forget fucking sex lives of the siamese twins like I, mm. i've only read that once i might revisit it because i can't remember if it was that I, I remember not loving it at the time but yeah I'll, I'll, I'll maybe go back and read it you are never ever unless it's on pornhub gonna get a decent ride made into a tv <laughs> series I would love to do it. I might make a short film, actually, making a decent ride into a TV series, but um, you're, play you're never going to get that. <laughs> and then that kind of covers everything. That's that's it. Well, I mean, then you've got Marabou's you can stork. do you can do stuff like yeah. I mean, you can do stuff like um, like obviously, you know, Dead Men's Trousers later down the line. You could do Skag Boys, but with a younger cast. I think that's what they're trying to maybe do as well, like make that into a TV series. Yeah. But then, is that oversaturation? Does it get too much? Does that dilute the brand? And that's what you don't want to do because yeah. Train Spotting is such an iconic film. I do not want a Train Spotting TV series. Cause do not fucking touch that. But then he's got he's. Like the chain spot in play, the original play mm. sort of comes and goes. It's a play. It's fine. Um, and that's fine. And uh, porno has been made into a play. Uh, it's yeah, it's that's fine. Just now. I don't know. Leave I don't... it as a play. It's fine. I don't want any. It's a play. It's fine. Give me a Blade Artist TV series, and that's it. And and if you want to do if you want to do Demons Trousers in like five years time or so, I don't, I don't know how they could give do me it. that. I don't think they could do it though because the characters in T two, the characters of Red and Begbie, uh, Sick Boy and Spud, mm. they're too far removed from with the way they are in Dead Men's Trousers, you know? Well, but, don't give me Dead Men's Trousers then. Just give me the Blade Artist. I, I, give me the Blade Artist, Crime Series 3, and give me a decent ride. I think I would... I think if they were to do a TV series of Skag Boys, and obviously with, with the characters that we know and love, but also make it a commentary on, you know, the... the AIDS epidemic in Edinburgh in the 80s and everything and I mean, if in the right hands like we always say it could be it could be quite good but it just it would, it would depend on the cast I think yeah as long as it's not the in-betweeners on heroin then I'll be happy enough <laughs> I think you'll be alright I think I don't have to worry too much about that <laughs> 
like if Welsh and Kavanagh write it, then it's going to be fine. Like because mm. obviously Welsh is no fool; he's not going to have anything shite go yeah. out with his output. So let's wait and see. But yeah, I absolutely love Crime Series Two. Let's wait and see what's next. Um, so uh, Crime Series Two was my choice, which means that the the Big Arrow swings back around to you so what are we watching for the next episode okay greg well next episode it's going to come out just after halloween so we're going to actually miss her swally spooktacular oh. it's going to come out i think like two or three days after halloween so we've covered uh, a few scottish horror films over the last few years and this year is no different but on the next episode i'd like to look at a film that takes a couple of actors from a couple of previous Swally Spooktaculars that we've done. So, starring Liam Cunningham from Dog Soldiers, and also starring, we know her as the Size Queen, but she might become the Swally Scream Queen, <laughs> Pollyanna McIntosh. I'd like to look at the 2014 film, Let Us Pray. Ah, brilliant. Never seen it. And it, and it might be a little bit of a, a police trilogy, because it's set in a police station, and we've just done Tagger, Crime, and Let Us Pray back to back so that'll conclude our police trilogy for the year yeah Uh, but yeah 2014's let us pray uh so that's your homework to watch for the next episode of the culture swally well thank you very much for listening everyone hope you enjoyed the show if you want to get in touch with us drop us a line on cultureswally at gmail.com anything you've seen in the news or anything you'd like us to review or cover you can follow us on the socials on instagram at culturesswallypod or on x formerly known as twitter at swallypod and greg we have a wonderful website as well don't we we do you can find us at the culture swally.com uh lots of uh, content uh, scottish media content to read over and you can contact us through the website as well there are links to our social media and our gmail accounts so get in touch and don't forget we're still like to hear who your young tiger dreamcast might be <laughs> We'll get in touch. Um, you've, you've just listened to the episode I sent you today, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just, no, you, you, you sent me it two days ago, so I listened to it on the flight home okay. from Saudi. Um, okay. Yeah, and, you know, while we're at it, if uh, they were to do a, a Skag Boys TV series, let us know which young actors you think could uh, fill the massive shoes of Ewan's Bremner and McGregor and Robert Carlyle and um, Johnny Lee Miller as the... The quartet um, from Trainspotting. We'd love to. We'd love to know. Wonderful. All right. Well, good stuff. You up to anything else uh, exciting today, Greg? I mean, it's three weeks ago that we'll be no. talking now, but yeah. uh, well, no, yeah. it's nine o'clock at night here. I'm going to go and order some chips with salt and vinegar, and hopefully a roll, and have because I've not had any dinner, uh, and have a a roll and chips. I did have a big lunch. I went out for lunch. I had a I had a nice lunch out with my with my wife. It's been a public holiday here today, so her and I went shopping. Had a little. Uh, lunch date together but I think a roll and chips she's out there's no judgement that's what I'll be doing well you enjoy your roll and chips Greg and I will speak to you on the next episode of the Culture Valley, which we will actually be recording in about four or five weeks time (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay right okay Uh, until next time Greg Uh, until next time my name is Ray and I'm an addict I've displaced my life for 40 years hiding from who I am Hiding from what's made me. Power of the groups what keeps you safe. But life isn't safe. Life's a challenge that has to be faced. Now, I have to leave it all behind because it's time to heal myself and move on.
I choose life.